Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. And welcome to the eighth episode of The First Exchange with me, your host, Lydia Daydog. Well, I've wanted to get this man on the show. Well, since we started, I always knew I was going to get him on, but I'm delighted that he came in today for the eighth episode. Loads to catch up on. It was, of course, John Connors, actor, writer, director, um, owner of Cluster Fox Films, um, will most commonly be known for his role as Patrick in Love Hate, who killed Midge, um, and also for Cardboard Grancers, one of the most successful Irish films of all time. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to get him in. Anyone who, who follows what I do on Fight Connect TV, you'll know that I interviewed John um, a couple of months ago, and the interview was just blew up. Everyone loved it. Um, so he was in today to talk about. Everything from his culture to getting started in acting to his process, his creative process, to his friends, to relationships, his mother. We really went deep and um, uh, got a little insight into, into John, you know, so I hope you enjoy it. As always, thank you for all the support and all the feedback on the episodes. If you enjoy what you hear, please share and uh, spread the word of the first exchange and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show as well. Um, but for now, it's John Connors, episode eight. Episode eight, John Connors. How are you? Good. Thanks thank for you. Me. Thank you very much for coming in. I know you're a busy man, so I do appreciate it. No, you just texted me actually. Yeah, you know it was funny. It was such a um, a precise, assertive text. <laughs> hey, John, I've a podcast lot free. Such and such a time, such a location. <laughs> are you free? And I was just like, yeah. Okay, and you were like, "Sound, but <laughs> I'm straight in, no yeah. mess, and just get the job done." Yeah, you know, that's the way I like ask, it. Ask it straight out. I hate, I hate actually doing this three months ahead thing and all that because I haven't got a fucking clue. I let people down the whole time like that. No. But if you're asking two or three days in advance, <laughs> yes, I'm there. People are, like obviously this is episode eight, so we're doing this eight weeks, and uh, people keep saying to me, "So who have you got on like the next couple of weeks?" I'm like. I don't know. Whoever it's free. Like, yeah. I'll talk to a bleeding the milkman. Like, do yeah. you know what I mean? But um, I'm delighted that you came in. Thank you very much. The last time, because obviously a lot of our viewers, you know, since we did the interview um, on Fight Connect TV, a lot of our viewers were like, oh, you have to get John back on. Do more with John. So I was like, perfect opportunity to get you in. Um, but yeah, we done an interview out in your camp, uh, out in Kulak. Is it Kulak? Yeah. yeah. I don't, it got a good reception. Yeah, People yeah. enjoyed it. You well, know? A lot of people hit me up from that, actually, yeah. Yeah, it was good. You know, I was in um, Kilkenny and I was walking through like a back street in Kilkenny 
and there's a youth centre. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a bunch of traveller young men outside and I walked past and they were all looking at me, you know, and I was just like, oh, I didn't take any notice. And I was halfway down the road. And they're like, do you do an interview with John Connors? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I ended up chatting to him. They're like, oh, we saw it. it was brilliant. You know, so it was really good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Good I don't really get not recognised that often. Do you know what do I mean? You know? No, not I'm really. surprised now. No, I do in, in pubs and stuff. I'm at the yeah. bar. And like, I'm just kind of like, I'll get people looking, but not. Until you get hounded when you go to all these fight events, though, by randomers who would be watching this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of working. Not, they're not really at the fights because they're used to me. Like, I'm at all of them. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I was at that uh, the Craig Oakley fight. Oh, yeah. You okay? You, you, you sorted me out for that. Nice one for that. No bother. You're welcome. Um, that was fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what? Because you were well Christ. used to like, you know, fight nights and the box yeah. and everything. Well, that was mad. That was mad. Uh, the people just, it's a, there's a lot of macho men in the building. <laughs> yeah. And they're yeah, very yeah. loud. Very And they loud. all recognize me and it's like, oh my God. And I was sober, doing a sober one and everybody tried to buy me drinks and all. I was going, this is so no many triggers way. here. <laughs> that was crazy, by the way, that show, man. Yeah. Like, was I, like, I'd never really checked up after this. Obviously, everybody thinks he's got it was the biggest robbery ever well yes yeah dear yeah. god mm. what like i'm used to this in boxing but i that's my first muay thai event i've watched it on youtube for years but that was crazy to me he clearly won one two and three and five lost the fourth but could have been you could even maybe make an argument that's what i thought yeah that was my the, their argument for it was that the he was told that the wbc scoring was that um all all attacks all all punches whether it be knees kicks or punches are score equally whereas in traditional thai the kicks will score higher than a punch or a knee or an elbow but so, it was meant to be wbc rule set because it was a <clears throat> wbc title but the scoring was done where were the, where the judges from the uk Oh dear God! Come on. <laughs> the judges uh, were from the UK, and they actually are work for the organisation as well. So. Do you know how sure I was uh, that he won? We left right before the decision was announced. Yeah, my brother was the same. He was I like, just "I have it." Like, get out of here! Like, you know what I mean? Get, get out of these mad people, uh, this mob. Uh, yeah. But then a friend texted me and said he lost. I said, "Fuck mm. off!" Yeah. I tell you what I did. I immediately. <laughs> this is what I done. I immediately tweeted Craig and yeah, said, "Well done, I champ!" Thought, blah yeah. blah blah. blah. Oh, you I, did, did you? Yeah, no, listen. I, and then someone told me he lost. So then I deleted that tweet. No And then way. I retweeted him saying, you were fucking robbed. That's how fucking sure I was that they could one Because I saw it because I was with him. I was like, look, John Connors, after like putting out a tweet, I was like, saying fair play to you, know? And he was like, see, everyone knows. He knows, But you I know? first tweeted him, but I said, it looked like an easy now. I said, well done, champ. That was a masterclass. That's what I said. Yeah. But I said, I have to fucking delete that now. Because, mm. you know, obviously he would have been very sensitive after... Sensitive, like yeah. Like he's, he, we oh had him God. in last week. He's still sensitive. You know, he's going through the motions. You know, it's like it's like a death. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a death. There's there's nothing worse. I was robbing myself in a number of cases when I boxed, and it's so disheartening. I know a lot of young boxers who could have been the next great that just got one too many robberies, and it just killed their motivation mm. at the wrong at 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 the wrong time in their career when they're just progressing. And uh, it's very sad. It's very sad people who are dedicating their whole life to this. Um, Absolutely. It's heartbreaking for them. What do you think is the right course of action for yourself in those moments when you're kind of putting... Because you want to wreck the place. You want yeah. to upend everything. But even not even on the night, but going forward, what do you think is the right way to, well, to no, conduct I yourself? I don't know if I'm the right person to give advice because I'd say me getting robbed was the the last couple of robberies I got was a part of why I stopped boxing. Mm. Literally, the last two in a row... Um, where one where I, it was, I literally gave a fella an ass whooping mm. and walked out losing. So 
uh, I ended up taking a year off then because of the last robbery I got. And then when I when I came back, I couldn't I just couldn't get back into boxing again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, just lo- lo- lost the motivation. But I mean. That means that I wasn't meant to be a true champion. I didn't have that in me. If you're a true champion, and he is, mm. he's just going to come back. And I think I think that's going to just inspire him more. You can see it. Like, mm. and to be honest with you, like after the first round, I was going, he won. But your man's going to come back. He's just holding off, and he's he's going to go. And then the next round, he won. I said, no, your man's going to come back down the third. And I'm not going against him, but this is because I was just thinking, no, he's he's just holding back. Yeah. He's holding back, and he's pacing himself like in boxing. But Jesus just kept going and he won the third and then the fourth but still I thought was a close round that I would have mm. given to your man. And then he won the fifth and I was like, Jesus, this was a master class. Yeah. An absolute master class. And for those of us who've watched uh, Craig fight over the years, like he's never looked as good. Yeah. He he felt, you know, in talking to him since then, he felt just the energy of 2,000 people in that room. That was crazy. Fighting. That walkout. That was crazy. Right? Like in terms okay. of like... The ground energy. was shaking. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It was some atmosphere. Yeah. It was one of the best atmospheres I've ever yeah. seen at a fight. Like, and uh, I, I was getting excited. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I'm delighted. Excited, yeah. I'm delighted that you had a good time. So, there. so you're you're about to convert me over now. I'm going to be going to more of them events. You are. I think I'll have to wear a moustache now and, and glasses the next time, though. But but definitely going to more of them for sure. Deadly, deadly good stuff. And you Oh, the only that. one thing. The Go one on. thing. Oh my god. Oh my god. I want to kill the DJ. Who was the DJ? Oh, should I name and shame him? Because well, that's why, his livelihood. No, this, why, is why, this is why, not the music. The music is deadly, right? Yeah. When uh, your man, that brilliant fight between the two Irish fellas, fucking Ward was, and he, he got the knee and he got knocked out really bad. The knee? Or no, no, it wasn't the knee. Was it a... Was it a spinning a, elbow. Yes, yeah, spinning elbow. Steve O'Neill yeah. and Momo Kale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so your man who got knocked out was winning the fight. Yeah. To me, anyway, looked like... But it was a war of yeah. attrition. It was like Gatti and Ward. Like, so exciting. So exciting. I, I was yeah. literally pumped. I was getting goosebumps. It was yeah. that type of fight. But he got knocked out and the DJ kept the music on. And I swear to God... I swear to God, Lydia, I was roaring, saying, don't someone tell that cunt to turn off the fucking... Yeah. It was the most disrespectful thing ever. I know, yeah. And fair play to the medics, the trainers, everybody, because they were straight there. Everything was done correctly, because yeah. I always watch for that. Mm. Um, and in boxing, we're great at that now in boxing. And that was done right, but they wouldn't turn off the music. like So people were still partying away while this fellow was on the ground. And it was one of the bad knockouts that you think, Jesus, yeah. this fellow might not wake up. Yeah. And thank God he did, but... Whoever that DJ is, get your shit together, mate. It, do you know what? No in, in his defence, he's never done a, um, a show before, a fight night. So I'd it, say it, he was probably like, against, what does one do against, here? Uh, is he not a human being? <laughs> like, that is true, that is just true. a human being. Hello, another human being. <laughs> is that getting a really bad knockout or give him respect? I know, yeah, but you and know like, what? You think about even like um, even like the cornermen and the medics trying to speak and talk to each other and yeah. that shit blared in their fucking yeah. faces. Like, <laughs> I would have slapped the face <laughs> off that DJ myself for them that night. Little bastard. But besides that, everything was great but listen but it, it's it's funny that aside from that that you brought up that fight in particular because that's that's a fight that was a big talking point in terms of you know uh the idea that momo was winning that fight for for four and a half mm. rounds mm. and steve kept throwing that same spin and elbow and the crowd were you know jeering him a little bit because he kept he wasn't he was missing he wasn't landing yeah. at all do you know what i mean and then he was getting hit on the back of us and when that happened, it was like, because Mo was confident, he was walking down with his hands down. Mm. He's like, I have this one yeah. more and then that's it. And then like that, it's all over. That's what happened. And it's fighting. such an, a, like a, you know, for it's just a, a, a like life. Like I just looked at it and I was like, if this isn't like, you know, he, everything just in a circle, 360, how life can just absolutely <laughs> like floor you. Do you know it what I mean? come out of anywhere. Out of anywhere. I'd love to see a rematch there because that was literally one of the most exciting any yeah. kind of fights I've ever seen in life. Yeah. 
de- yeah. I'm deadly. Absolutely, I'm delighted yeah. that you think I'd love that. to see that again. I'd love to see that again, yeah. That should be a main event fight. Yeah. Because of that, because yeah. of how good it was. The new promoters out there now that be yeah. like that. Yes, lovely. Let's get <laughs> that on the cards. Um, so talk to me about your own, because I know like anyone that has followed you and anyone that knows anything about John Connors, you know that your, your, your background is in boxing and that you like, you know, you've spoken so openly about how it benefited you in your life and obviously it's a passion as well you enjoy watching it and stuff like that um talk to me about you know like would you ever go back to boxing i think we spoke about this like would you ever go right i'm going to dedicate however long time i'm going to go back and i'm going to jump in and start fighting again that's a question i was asking myself for maybe 10 years up until a couple of years ago um I, i was supposed to go pro a few times when i was younger and the offer came back around just about two years ago there. No way. Yeah. Come someone, a promoter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to name him, but um, he asked me what to do it. And I was actually seriously thinking about it. But then I was thinking about tying it up with the whole Joe Egan film and kind well, of... Well, this is what I was going to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just making it a part of, like, uh, the preparation for that. Yeah. Maybe have a pro debut and then go and do the Joe Egan role. Yeah. And then just see what happens. Uh, the Joe Egan role is getting pushed back another year again. This is what happens in films all the time. Yeah. But no, I don't. Now it's just too far gone. Like I've just done too much damage to my body. You know what I mean? Like now, mind you, I'm looking at some pros and I'm going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like a- I'm technically twice as good as any of these, but I, yeah. I don't think I could ever reboot my lungs enough to yeah. be able to do even six rounds, no matter how fit I got. To be honest, uh, but I do, I do love it. Um, and it, I did flirt with the idea of just having a debut for the crack and getting all the family out and watching the fight. Mm. And just having a fight, like a fight is a fight. It's not. I love fighting, do you know what I mean? And I always love fighting, and it's it's not a, it's not something I would be getting too hyped about. I, w- yeah. I would do it in, for the crack, but mm. I'd be serious about it, do you know what I mean? But, yeah. but I'd have fun with it, do you know what I mean? It just you strike me as the type of person that when you set your mind to something, you commit to it a hundred percent. Well, you that's know? that's what I'd be afraid of, is because of a good acting career going and a, yeah. and a directing career, and if uh, if I taste someone's blood and get a win or two, I might just say fuck all that and. And then dedicate myself <laughs> towards a goal I might never get. You know what I mean? And yeah. listen, when I do something, I want to be the best as well. So, um, I, I, you know, like, what's the odds of me come now? Twenty nine, coming thirty, you know, doing anything in a boxing career. But I wouldn't have mind a few fights for the crack. Yeah. You know? Did it bring you joy when you were doing it? Oh God, yeah, Jesus mm. Christ! Uh, uh, it transformed me because I got into boxing uh, because I was getting bullied really yeah. bad, you know. And I was getting bullied by traveller kids where I came from, and. Um, I was getting bullied because my father committed suicide and it's getting rubbed in my face. I was going to school. Mm. I was getting bullied there by settled kids. Even teachers bullying me, calling me knackers and pikey. And I was getting that every day. And every day I was getting black eyes on top of black eyes and coming home to my mother and she was screaming and crying. And I literally had to fight my way to school on the way home from school, in school. Me and my brother Joe, all the way. And um, actually, I think one of the things that inspired me was watching Rocky. Mm. I remember watching Rocky and it was like, just like Rocky won. And this fella came from nowhere. Uh, it's still the best Rocky for me because it's the only Rocky that's really about story. You can maybe argue that about number two. The rest of them are action films. Yeah. The last, uh, the, the Rocky Balboa, yeah. that was probably the first story one yeah. since because three, four, five were, you know, action. Uh, and I love them, you know what I mean? But that really resonated with me. And the idea that uh, all he wanted to do was go the distance mm. because he'd realized for the first time in his life that he wasn't just another bum. And I remember being a child, seeing that and just getting goosebumps. And I said, I'm going to the fucking boxing club. Yeah. And um, me and two friends of mine uh, who lived in the same lane as me, two Gavins, because I grew up in a lane where there's probably about 1,500 travelers. Yeah. All in like a half of my lane. And it was the best uh, childhood in the world in many ways, with the exception of the bullying 
But um, me and Patrick Gavin and Terence Gavin went to the boxing club actually, and uh, we went the first night and we had a real old school trader like Mickey out of Rocky, but a dub, yeah. like from Sheriff Street. You know what I mean? And his name is Bardler, Joe Russell Bardler, they call him, right? <laughs> right? And all big boxing families and great coach. But um, he said to me, Patrick and Terence, he said, when we walked in, this is your first night on your last fucking night. Oh, and we were yeah. all right. So we went out for a jog, and I was a little faffle. <laughs> we went out for a jog, but I was always determined, and I really tried my best, and he saw I was trying my best. And then we went back to the club, and I started doing pads mm. with him. And I had messed around a bit with the pads at home with a cousin of mine, an older cousin. And uh, I did it with just raw aggression, I suppose, mm. rage. And he seen this in me. And uh, he said, at the end of the night, he said, the other two, you, you two can get your coat and fuck off. You can come back Wednesday. No way. And uh, within we hadn't won an All-Ireland title maybe in four years at the time. Yeah. And then within six months, I'd won a league's title, a Dublin title, a Leinster title, and an All-Ireland title. Yeah. And then the year after, then I got the... Got the same and then a silver medal in the in the Four Nations. And then the year after, I was so annoyed with that silver, came back and got the gold, beating an English fan in the final, and uh, which was nice. And then I just transformed from someone who was really low self-esteem and mm. getting bullied to someone who was really confident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it did wonders for me. And when I got into acting then initially, I always seen everything through the eyes of a fighter, that lens. Like, this is a fight, you know what I mean? And and this is nothing compared mm. to what I had to put my body through because people don't see that side yeah. of things, you know? And especially back then, like, we didn't know nothing about fucking sports science or any shit like that. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I'd lose two stone nearly in a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it'd the be bags on you. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> the training three times a day, I used to eat. I remember my thing was I'd eat an apple, a can of tuna, and a glass of water. Just one, uh, for the last week. That's what that was Jesus. the little one I invented, and I'd be getting on the scale like a fucking heroin addict. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then, like, I remember the funny thing was I, I weighed in one time for the Dublin final, and uh, I weighed in for eighty kilos on the Sunday, and Monday night I went to the club and I weighed myself and I was eighty six point five. Six and a half kilos to put on in 36 hours or something. No way. Because I'd lost so much fluids as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. we weren't doing what they do now even, you know. And I, so I had a serious advantage when I fought my opponent and on that Wednesday, I think it was about 88 kilos. <laughs> I was, like, I was in pounding there. them out of it with the body shots. Um, but, but I'm wondering in that time, when, when you're saying about like, you know, with the coaches and the, the tough love when you go in there and you're saying it's going to be your first night, it's your first night, it's your last night. And then for you to get that sort of like nod of acknowledgement or acceptance in that moment where like you can come back. How do you feel in those moments? You know what I mean? Especially when you're talking and you've talked so openly about your your dad's um, passing, you know mm. what I mean? And, and uh, one thing that always resonates with me in jiu-jitsu is that when I get some kind of praise from my coach, mm. it's almost like a, a like a father figure, like telling me that he's proud of me or I've done well. And yeah. it's almost like, you know, I get emotional over because I'm like, shit, this is what I need from my own dad and my coach is giving it mm. to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that was a big thing. He became a father figure for yeah. me. And that confidence in me and I want to do better for him. Unfortunately, I think a lot of that sort of methodology now is lost because you're not mm. going to get away with doing that with kids anymore yeah you know what i mean and give yeah. them sort of tough love but those trainers they weren't they were more than trainers they were community activists you yes, know absolutely. and all they wanted from you it did you didn't have to be the best you had to just do your best yeah they realized that not everybody was going to be a champion or going to be great mm. you know what i mean but if you but if you didn't give your best fuck off mm. and I, I thought that was a good cutoff point because it shows people you have to you have to want to be better and get better 
you know what I mean? Because you're not going to get anything easy. Mm. And uh, it had a massive effect on me. And for years, not even knowing what it was, I wasn't conscious of it. But the, 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 the put a competitiveness in me and, and a sense of self-esteem and a worthiness, all stuff that I was lacking, you know what I mean? And uh, anybody who's been bullied knows that. And even when you lose a parent, you're really young as well. You just, you're very vulnerable in general. He became a father figure for me and learning me so many life lessons along the way and just learning you, teaching you about life as well, like a philosopher, yeah. you know what I mean? And how to treat people and, and how to just defend yourself and don't bully people, other people, and don't use that power against them. And basically saying that your fists are a weapon now you know what I mean mm. and don't only use them against the right people you know yeah. so he stopped me from doing a lot of mad shit as well because he lived in Darndale I lived in Darndale so he was only living around the corner from me so he'd yeah. be hearing you could see it with your yeah. window <laughs> so he'd be hearing I'd be up to such and such and he'd put me say you you come, come here you get up to the club you know what I mean he'd yeah, kick yeah, up to the club yeah. and all that and that was brilliant and to be honest with you without him and the other trainers God knows what the fuck yeah. I would have been up to Absolutely. and even without boxing um, because I, I would have ended up still being a very physically imposing person, an aggressive person, and I had it naturally in me. Boxing refined all that, but it also refined my mentality. Mm. So I, I didn't end up being a real destructive person to other people, you know. Yeah. So that was that was very important, you know. Did you stay in school? I stayed in school. I did, well, primary school, I was, I excelled in primary school. Mm. And I did an entries exam into Colosse de Dulac, uh Secondary School. And I got the highest score in the school's history for an entrance, entrance exam. Unreal. My brother was second on that, that that year. And he was the same, he was a year younger than me. But no we way. were in the same year because my mother kept me back. Say, so didn't send me to school. She sent me to school the year after so we could go together, together and protect each other. Amazing, yeah. So I was, when I went into the school, they were expecting a bit of a, a prodigy, all the teachers, because of my test exams. And, and it was kind of, you know, the rumor going around about me and blah, blah, blah. And so I was put into the highest class, as they call it, which I still think is a fucked up thing to do to kids for self-esteem. Highest class, second highest, third, fourth, and then the last. And that's what it was. There was five yeah. classes in our school. But um, what happened was I started to get really disinterested with school and looking at my cousins who were going off working with their fathers and making money and being men. Yeah. And I started feeling guilty about going to school. And ironically, especially that time, travellers would look at you, traveller men particularly, would look at you and call you stupid for being in school. Yeah. Now that sounds mad, but yeah. that, that, that's the way it is. <laughs> and I'd end up just skipping all the time, going to the cinema whenever I could get the chance, skip going into the, just sneaking into the cinema. And uh, because it was such a competitive class at the highest level, when I'd come back then after missing two weeks, I was so lost and out of my depth. And that kept happening and spiraling. I don't know how I managed to still stick in until I started third year and then I said, fuck this shit. I think I had a fight with somebody and they threatened to call police or some shit like that. And I never went back to school. I think think they just left me alone. They kept trying before that to get me back all the time, but then they just left me alone. I I was 15 four months I'll be 16 birthday and you can quit at 16 and then that was it I ended up joining a force course in Darndale a metal work course because obviously that's what it was to be a man yeah I have to get your tools and let's go yeah and I got there and I fucking hated it Mm. and I just um, I just played ping pong uh, in the class. That's what I did. I, every now and again I do a bit of welding that was the only thing I liked and then one day um, a French Canadian couple came in one was a clown and one was an actress right. uh, doing acting classes and I just said yeah just get out of the fucking metalwork class because I fucking hated it and I went up and I'd done this class first time I ever exposed to any sort of creativity um, I'd done a class and I remember uh, a friend of mine John Walsh uh, still a very good friend of mine we grew up together he's a settled lad and uh, 
basically the best footballer to ever come out of Kula. Could have played for Man United, but just went down a different road. But he's grand now, like, but yeah. he just in his teens, he went a bit mad, you know. And um, me and John were very good friends. And John said, let's do this improv. And John pretended to be my boxer promoter. And I was a boxer who was over. getting a world title shot. And it was brilliant. And I remember getting the reaction from everybody. It was like the performance I got from boxing, you yeah. know. And everybody was like, that's fucking brilliant. And the two teachers were like, Jesus, the two of you are really talented, you know. Yeah. And he said, both of you should be pursuing this. So we did like six weeks of it. And I think at the end of the, the last week, we were to do a performance, a live performance or a little short film. I'm confused. One or the other anyway. And uh, I was going up to do it, and my class tutor, who was the tutor for the metalwork, said, I can't go up because Mary, who was like the kind of principal figure of the FOSS, won't allow me. And I found that very peculiar. Why would Mary put in and not allow me to go there, I said. But he was his face sort of went red, and I knew straight away he was lying. I could always tell a liar, always. No one can lie to me. And I said, okay, I'm going up and ask Mary then. And he said, no, no, no. I just went up and asked Mary. And she says, what? No, not at all. I don't know what, don't know what, why he said that. So I went back to him and not going to say his name, but I went back to him and I says, um, "What's going on?" Mary said, "It's a complete line." His face just went right again. I said, "I'm going up." So I went up, <clears throat> and I was in the middle of doing the live performance when him and Mary came back into the room. And Mary said, "John, why did you go up there? He didn't give you permission, right?" And I said, "What the fuck?" And obviously, when you're a kid, and especially me, I was full of rage. How you deal with embarrassment mm. situations like that is rage. So I just started roaring like a lunatic and I broke the door on the way out and I broke the next door and the windows, like the windows of the doors, I was smashing them basically, putting yeah. my hands through them, cutting me fucking two fists, ripping them apart, just lost it. And uh, I never went back to Foss and uh, there was sort of vacuum in my life then I suppose because I was starting to mess a bit and down and doing kind of things and not train the way I used to train in boxing and just Joe mm. was trying to, me training was looking for me everywhere and I'd maybe show up twice a week and I used to do six days a week, you know what I mean? Yeah. Twice a day coming up to tournaments and now I was doing twice a week maybe, you know what I mean? And and if there was no tournaments going up, I wasn't doing one day a week. I was bloating up and down a weight and, and cutting really hard and... Uh, and I, I started getting involved in stuff that I shouldn't have been getting involved in and just being enticed into uh, into into bad stuff. And um, eventually, what my mother kind of uncovered what I was doing and she uh, was broken down over it, you know. Yeah. So she asked me to stop what I was doing and I said, okay. And I agreed to do that and stop what I was doing. And it was just another vacuum was left again and then I started getting really badly depressed and beat myself up with shame and guilt and all them sort of things that still follow me now, every shame, guilt, these sort of things, they internalize shame. And it's good because I'm aware of it, yeah. because you can work it yourself, but it's still things that never go away. And that voice, that voice of doubt that you're no good, you're not worth nothing, mm. that's there all the time with me. And it just depends on whether, what my routine is, as to how loud that voice will be. So if my routine is I'm exercising, eating well, and creating, I'm writing all the time, well then that voice is just a whisper. Mm -hmm. But then if I'm drinking and I'm messing and, 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 and I'm uh, like shutting people out of my life, then that voice is like a roar. Yeah. And then what happens Then you try to null it even further mm -hmm. with all the bad stuff, yeah. which makes it go louder and louder and louder because human beings are just paradoxical like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So that was uh, that was the team. Well, you know, you say all this, you know, you're 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 talking to like your your life and your childhood and your teens there. You know what I mean? And, and then you're saying I have all this rage and and, and this, the, you know, the kind of mental health aspect of it. And I'm sitting here listening going, 
of course you do. Like, mm. look what you've been through in your mm. life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Even in that situation with the, the with Fuss, do you know what I mean? Like, I instantly, you're telling that story and I'm like, do they not even stop to consider what you've been through as a child in mm. losing your dad? Well, you know, the you ironic know? thing is I, I kind of analysed the tutor who did that and uh, I found out a bit more about him. And he was just from the same sort of situation as well, actually. He was bullied as a child. And as a result, he had low self-esteem. Mm. And of course, then I wasn't showing interest in what he was teaching me, yeah. which made him feel inferior. Mm. And then his way of lashing out then was stopping me from going there because he was jealous. Absolutely. We have to understand that we're all connected with trauma, no matter what background you come yes. from. And uh, we don't know what kind of day someone's had. We don't know what kind of life someone's had. Because mm -hmm. people are great at putting on poker faces. Everybody's an actor. Mm. People always go acting to acting. Everyone's an actor because you're going to act very different yeah. with your mother than you are with John Connor's hair now mm. or with Shane hair now with us or yeah. someone down the street you meet or someone you go on a mm. point with or jujitsu with your trainer, your coach. There's no difference. Yeah. Only that I know I'm conscious of it all the time. That's yeah. And that's where performance comes in. But people, you act because that's survival instinct. You yeah. would have happened to do that going back in hunter gatherer times and act quite you know, and act like you've no fear so the animal doesn't attack you. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? This is the sort of thing that is ingrained in our psyches, you know? So I just figured out that fella, that was his background. And I actually see him now and we have good chats and whatever, you know? You have to you have to have empathy for people and understand where they're coming from too. Are you aware of how massively intelligent you are? Um, well, you see, with me, it's I'm, I have a lot of knowledge about stuff that I like. <laughs> yeah. And I'm brilliant. Right. I'm brilliant at... Um, I'm, I'm wondering how you acquired this intelligence. For someone who <clears> left, <throat> you know, school and after junior science, I'm like, you're lit, hands down one of the most intelligent people I know. Well, and you know, you, as, as soon as you speak to you, and not only just words, but you're just grand knowledge of, like, life and yeah, the universe, well, you know? Yeah, well, I suppose knowledge, intelligence, they're maybe all, uh, wisdom, they're all kind of different things. I've a little bit of each... Um, sometimes, um, sometimes intelligence can be inherited. Yep. My father was n was nicknamed the professor, uh, nice. and okay. usually people of mental illnesses are higher on the intelligence or the IQ marker. Anyway, mm -hmm. people with schizophrenia are usually pretty high IQ. He was schizophrenic. That's what your dad was diagnosed with. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So he was schizophrenic, um, and he was known as the professor. So he was so intelligent actually that he was almost kind of alienated from people and isolated a bit especially, you know, coming from his community and he was talking about stuff that maybe other travel men wouldn't talk about, yeah. you know, and the obscure thoughts and, uh, like, having really, really complicated uh, conversations with me when I was only a child, five and six, you mm -hmm. know what I mean, talking about the world and everything in it and, um, and he'd have me reading when I was, like, two and three, reading newspapers and stuff, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I could read before I could go to school. Me brother Joe was the same as well because that's what he believed in and he showed us kind of that way. And yeah. um, it was just that side of the family. Like my mother always says, you get the brains from from your father, you know what I mean? Yeah. But maybe I get the empathy from her, you know, not that he wasn't empathetic either, you know. But you just sort of, I, I definitely was born with a facility to learn, mm. you know what I mean? That's And I just constantly love learning. Like my biggest addiction is that. Yeah. And the healthiest one I have is constantly get like um, goblin information. I love taking in mm. information and I love learning from people like uh, my business partner, Cluster Fox Films, Tiernan Williams. He's a psychotherapist, a psychologist and a cognitive scientist. Brilliant. And first we worked together. I was a support worker in a program he was a manager for and we work, work with young lads. And I literally, the workshops he was doing with the young lads, I was siphoning these workshops. I was the quietest in it and just taking it all in. And so much I've learned from him. Oh my, I was just joking with him last night on the balcony. We were 
doing up doing uh, applications late at night and I was saying Tiernan thank you so much for paying for your education <laughs> because you paid for for both of us because <laughs> he's looking at me going what have I created because yeah. I'm taking in everything that he, that he has to learn because if you have a, an understanding of psych- psychology and how the mind works yeah. you have an understanding of absolutely everything absolutely. I think that's the best basis to have that yeah. um, so I just love learning like I get excited about learning the history and culture and things yeah. like that really fascinate me to be honest I mean obviously like acting directing creating is your thing but did you ever consider going into kind of a, a like a professing teaching role you know or is that something that down the line because no. do you not do it a little bit in acting your workshops and stuff like oh, that yeah. would you do like a little relay yeah. the knowledge you know I, I do the whole acting workshops thing and I do mental health talks and I, but I do them to, I don't need like I don't need um, see what education what actually say going forward in college maybe getting a master's degree or whatever what that would do for me would be get getting a cert but you see I don't need that cert because we're not going to go down that road yes. I'm just about to acquire knowledge that helps me in my life that might affect my little circle around me mm. and like a result of that is like some of my family rela- relationships have gotten really uh, a lot better the last few years mm. because I've learned to look at my own flaws and become self-reflective. Yeah, you know, like uh, me and my brother were having kind of a bad relationship for a few years, and I'm a father figure to him, six seven years older than him, and um, I would have been I would have been blaming him on a lot of uh, the the conflict between me and him and the fa- in the family. Yeah, and through learning with Tiernan and doing workshops and looking at family dyna- dynamics because people are all about patterns. People are actually very predictable. All people. Um, I started to analyze myself and how and how I was speaking to him and how I was addressing him. And I said, fuck's sake, I'm actually a big part to play here now and I'm trying to put it all on him and that's not fair either. Yeah. And I went, well, what's important to me? Well, what's important to me is to get along with my brother who I love with all my heart. He's my little brother. And for all of us to get along as a family unit, my mother, and all of us to respect my mother and that's the most important thing. So I literally just approached him uh, and I said, look, I've been blaming you for all this stuff. I'm every bit to play, play here too. I'm as, as guilty as you. Um, for now on, and can we just be assertive with each other as opposed to shouting at each other, mm. listen to each other and what our grievances are with each other and be civilized about this and talk it through. And our relationship has gotten way better because of it, you know? But we always had a sort of a loving relation. Me and my brothers were like that. Like, it, It's still not perfect. Like, I remember last year, me well, and I told your brother, Packy, last night that you were coming on the show. Yeah. And he was like, ah, he's got nothing good to say. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Me and him had a fight, <laughs> uh, had a fight about a year ago. And we, it was about, no, it was about 18 months ago, two years ago, maybe. And we were rolling around the ground together in the camp. Yeah, yeah, and we were punching the heads off each other, right? Because he, he's an animal pack. He can yeah. fight like and he's yeah. tough as nails tough as nails I was out of breath and he was out of breath and my family are trying to separate us you know yeah. and um, and he just goes and this will tell you what kind of family we are with brothers like because other people they argue or fight and they don't talk for 10 years we don't allow that ever ever in the middle of the argument he just turns to me and goes I love you brother <laughs> and I went I love you too brother and then my uncles were like you fucking crazy Connors bastards because yeah. my uncles on the ward side but the Connors were like that all my father and his brothers they were very loving to each other and their siblings and if they had a fight it was squashed they wouldn't yeah. allow it to go to the end of the day you know what I mean yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the way that's the way we do things so like acquiring knowledge helps you in your life so that's why I do it because it just helps you in life in every area and then with art everything like that informs my art and what I want to say about the world and you're constantly evolving if you're yeah. the same as what you are when you're 20 you're fucked that's my opinion well self-awareness know? is a massive part of evolving yourself do you know mm. what I mean like and it seems like you just kind of clicked instantly and you knew what you needed to do to fix the relationships that are in your life you know yeah. what I mean? which is the biggest step but the hardest part is admitting <clears throat> 
looking at yourself and going, okay, well, maybe I have a small part to play in this yeah. and, and communicating with Recognizing people. Recognizing your ego as well. Yes. That's a very important thing. Mm. And I, I was totally buying into my own ego. Like I have this moral superiority here with my brother. Yeah. Uh, and then that was reflecting on the way we behaved with each other mm. uh, because we need to control our ego. Our ego is our worst enemy. Like our Absolutely. ego can destroy us in every single way. And especially for me as an artist that you can't allow the ego to drive you. You know what I mean? You have to reckon, uh, like I have to constantly check my ego, even though I never, mm. you, the way I speak and the way you hear me speak, you will you would never go, oh, he's really egotistical. Yeah. But in my brain, what I'm thinking, I'm questioning mm. my thoughts. And I'm going, hmm, is that coming from a place of ego? Give me an example of how it shows up for you. Well, it depends. If someone approaches me in a certain way and how I might behave or how I might think I'm going to behave, I'm going to go, why am I, why would I, why am I going to do that? Is it because I'm, I'm egotistical here or why? You know, yeah. Or is it because I'm pissed off? Or So I question the way I'm about to behave or a move that I'm thinking of. I question my thoughts all the time, constantly. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that drives a bit of bananas. Sometimes it turns into anxiety. But I'm trying to figure out what my motivations are. Yeah. So where's the mo is it coming from a, a good place? Is it coming from a justified place or is it coming from a place of ego? Right. So that's what I constantly try to check myself because I'm trying to essentially remove the ego. Now, egos are important in certain scenarios and like an ego has helped me in, in ways where I have been in fearful situations or nervous situations in terms of performance mm -hmm. maybe or not getting up for something and I use my ego and I tell myself I'm great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the ego then gets me through a tough time. So it's useful for that but for the most part it's really useless and it's not productive for you and your life or, or you know relationships yeah. you're going to have you know very interesting what i wanted to ask you about is when i was listening anytime i listen to you on your interviews or hear you speak you always talk so sweetly about your mom and i wanted to ask you about the importance that she plays in your life i mean because she <coughs> seems to me that you've got this massive amount of as you say empathy mm. and warmth and just you know a kind of a, a lust for life i suppose from your mom yeah like my mother's just went to hell basically mm. raising three boys uh in a traveler side on a lane with 1500 travelers in a machoistic culture and i don't mean that in a negative sense that uh, men drive our culture because that's not true either but i'm saying she was rearing three kids who were boys who were growing into a male a male side of the culture the machoism she knew nothing about mm -hmm. and just the struggles and she's so brave my mother's so brave like even fighting wise like like yeah. she'd be she was nicknamed kate lamada <laughs> no way by, by a cousin of mine mel and uh, lord of mercy mel died 80 months ago is my first cousin uh, and his brother just died a few weeks back um, which is really tough for us because you know you know people settle people here your cousin died that's no big deal but with us we're all brought up with each other it's like yeah. losing a sibling you know that kind of, of way course, yeah. and poor Mel he nicknamed her Kate Lamotta my aunt Kate Kate Lamotta you know because she'd always go out and fight if she had to you know no matter what yeah. she'd take a beating actually like they have yeah. a knock like oh actually fight Actually, no yeah, with other women, well, this yeah. is not the interpretation of your mother I that know, I have in my mind. I know, I know, but say there was <laughs> arguments going on, like say she would volunteer if she had to, like one of her sisters being cowardly, and she said, "Well, I'll do it then." No, and way. she just didn't care because she was just fearless, you know that kind of way. Yeah. But she's very gentle in her own, very gentle. Uh, I'm very quiet. I'm very shy, but um, she ha she just she's brave because yeah. she's faced things that are far more traumatic mm. than a fight. And a few scrapes, you know, yeah. a chance a few scrapes, you know. So she just, she did everything she could for us growing up all the way and always tried to get a little extra job on the side to get us the right presents that we wanted mm -hmm. and, and, and tried their best to scrape up money on a Sunday to send us to the cinema. We didn't always get there on a Sunday, but most yeah. Sundays we get there. And she just did her absolute best to, 
to the, help us thrive in a situation that was, you know, very hard to thrive in. Mm. Um, and always been there and always only wanting the best. Always only wanting the exact best for you. Mm. And putting you before her. She always did that. She put yeah. us before herself. It's funny She's you totally only selfless. get that from a mother, right? Yeah, no absolutely. one else. You'll get that from absolutely. nobody else. Absolutely. Yeah. So she's been the main figure. Like, I have so many important figures in my life, but there's no one more important than my mother. There's no one I want to have a better life more than my mother or comfort or luxury. or And I do absolutely everything I can for my, my mother. Like, she's a deep motivation for me when I might be going off the deep end or whatever. I think of my mother and how it's mm. going to affect her. So yeah. I always put, I always try to put her feelings above mine because she's always done that for me now. Yeah. And she's getting to the age where she doesn't need to be caring about, you know, worrying about me doing whatever mm -hmm. or getting in trouble or anything like that. You know, I need to at least remove that anxiety from her mm -hmm. and try to instill some luxury for her, yeah. which I have been doing and I continue doing and, and hopefully do more of. You Absolutely. Know? You have an aura when you meet you of a protector. You have that kind of thing that you're very protective of the people that you love and, and the things that you love. Does that come from, you know, your mom? Basically being like, because you're the eldest, right? Yeah. Do you think that it comes from? Yeah. I always, had, I always had a responsibility, I suppose, uh, with me two brothers because I was the eldest brother, you know. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to protect my brother Joe, say, the way I would have been able to protect Packy because Joe was only a year, year younger. So we sort of experienced the same bullying. Packy wouldn't have been bullied growing up. And we, me and Joe sort of um, talk about like how you rear someone, like not that I exclusively reared Packy, I didn't mean mother did, but we played a big part, me and Joe. But we always taught Packy to be tough and I always taught Packy to never back down from anybody mm. uh, because my father taught me that. Yeah. He, taught, he told me, uh, you're better off being dead than backing down. And mm. that's a, like a line that rings through in my head. And it's the thing that the reason why I can never back down from anything, whether it's a fight or it's a Twitter row <laughs> or anything, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. so with Paki, we, we sort of instilled that. And so Paki was always able to take care of himself. Yeah. And no one say of as no one older would have ever tried to bully Paki because of me, me brother Joe. Mm. Do you know, we just we we will die on our sword. That's the way yeah. we are. And my mother was very like that. My father was very like that. And I suppose now, like, like I like. If it's family, I will literally die for them. Yeah. I will literally die if it's my brothers or my mother or my, some of my cousins and uncles and I will die for them. My mother, I will literally kill an army for her or they'll have to kill me. Yeah. And I've, I've, done, I've, like, I've done things, like my mother was going out with a fella who she got engaged with who uh, beat her really bad, mm. really bad, left her unconscious. And uh, uh, let's just say he will never do that ever, ever again to a woman. Um, yeah. And I was very lucky not to go to prison for it. This is when I was, when I was a teenager. And if someone ever touched my mother, I've no problem taking her life, just straight up taking her yeah. life. Literally, I just I killed them stone dead mm. if they hurt my mother in any way. So um, how that's ha how has the relationship between your mom evolved from that moment? Do you know what I mean? Because that's that's obviously a very difficult thing for her as well. One that her her children know that she's after experiencing that situation, and then to you know. Like, how, how, how has the relationship evolved from then? I mean, no doubt she's, you know, grateful that she has you in her life. Mm. You know what I mean? No doubt. Yeah, well, I suppose her biggest worry about that whole scenario was that... If What's going to happen to my son? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to get locked up or whatever, yeah. you know, that kind of way. But obviously it was traumatic for what happened to her and, and buying into a relationship where she had feelings with someone for to turn around and treat her like that. Yeah. Um, so no doubt it was, it's def it was definitely traumatic for her. All we can do is just stay close to each other, like, and protect each other. That's we're a very close family unit, and even outside of that, cousins and all. Because, like, if I'm in trouble tomorrow, 
uh, without exaggeration, I have 40 cousins on my doorstep the next morning yeah. saying what's or did that day. And the thing is with us, Travis, we don't ring each other. You know what I mean? You have to land down. So yeah, land down. Yeah, land down. That's is that going said. to the camp? Like yeah, you're gonna, yeah, you have oh, to land down, and you have before. to kind of show your loyalty. Yeah, you know that kind yeah. of way, or or you won't get the loyalty back. And right. we're just all close, close knit like that. Like I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I just probably shouldn't tell this story. Go on and tell but, it. But uh, I'll tell it. Fuck it. It's years ago, right? <laughs> um, but I'll try to. I'll try to. I'll try to. Let me see. Sanitize it in some way. <laughs> no, well, um, I want the full on edited version. I'll, give I'll me the. Give me the hits. I'll strip away the identities at least anyway. But uh, I was a teenager at this time and um, a young cousin of mine, he was 14 years of age and he uh, uh, he, he pissed up against the wall when he was drunk and it was probably his first beer he ever had and he was caught in the act by someone, someone who lived around the corner, someone who was a gangster. Right. And the gangster gave him a few slaps and uh, my cousin said nothing about it but a couple of weeks later my cousin was walking through Darndale with uh, my brother, Packy, and Packy was 14 as well. Now, he wasn't a regular 14-year-old. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a 14-year-old who would fight an army, like, and yeah. doesn't care. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Just doesn't care. So your man thought he could come back up and bully me cousin, but Packy was there, and Packy said, what the fuck, I'll give you a punch the face off you. And your man got a bit afraid. But he called his friends, and about seven or eight of them gathered together and got weapons and chased me, me cousin and me brother Packy. Now, I was in the home watching the Discovery Channel, right? <laughs> watching a lion eating fucking a cheetah or some shit. <laughs> And my brother Paggy comes in, and this is years ago for the audience at home, with people probably writing about this now. John Connors had got into a fight. <laughs> but um, I was a teenager, but he comes in to me and he goes, John, oh, John, oh, we're getting chased by such and such. What the fuck, they're trying to kill us, blah, blah, blah. So I picked up a weapon, I'm not going to say what weapon it was, but I picked up a weapon, I had me old, it was a hatchet. <laughs> the hatchet was my specialty, I had it under my pillow. And um, I went over to the camp where my family was, and we all sort of gathered together, and eight of us gathered together. And um, I was 17 and there was maybe two adults, that's it. No one else in the camp, everybody's off working. And uh, five, five of the, the, the other five were kids. So like yeah. 16, t- 12 to 16, right? So there was only eight, nine of us and two adults or whatever, right? Eight, nine of us all together, including two adults. So we went over to this so-called gangster's house and there was about 10 of them in the garden and they all had knives and we begged them to come out and we just said, listen, let's have a war. We love having wars. Let's do this. Let's do this now. If you want to have a war, let's have a war. Yeah. And uh, they wouldn't do it. And we went, you have us outnumbered. You're all adults. You all have knives. Like, if you're going to bully people, let's try to bully people then. Come on, let's yeah. do it then. Right? Said no. <laughs> so this is an example of how we kind of all get together and stick together. So we went back to the lane. And we're on the lane. And we're all chatting away. Oh, do you think something's going to come from this? Because these are all big heavy heads, like big gangsters. Yeah. And uh, we looked over. <laughs> we looked over and there was about 50 fellas coming, coming towards us. Uh, across the field walking onto our lane and I turned around to my cousins and uh, my elders and that only two elders and two uncles uh, no an older cousin and an older uncle and I said look we have absolutely no choice but to meet them in the field we can't allow them to land on the lane we have to meet them in the field and he said okay and <laughs> at one old cousin um, who what? Let's just say he wasn't the bravest. God help him. And he says, I, he says, I've, uh, I've the mind there. Uh, I've the, I've the mind me child. He said. <laughs> but he was, yeah, it was a funny, it was a funny old fella, you know. Uh, I've the mind me child, boys. I can't, I can't, I can't go with you. So we went out to the field, and there was like eight, nine of us in the end of it, and there was about fifty of them. Loads of them had weapons, and uh, I, another or my uncle came out of the blue, and he kind of went in the middle, and he had a little back and forward with the leader the other trying to squash the whole thing before people got hurt right yeah. okay but in the meantime we're arguing with them you know what I mean the same people we're just having a conflict with 
and they're shouting and we're all shouting back and forth at each other and one of them then called you fucking pikey's bastard and this was the main fella and uh he was part of uh let's just say he was part of a he was part of a, an organization uh of some type and anyway he shouted that and I lost the head. I literally lost the head and I ran into the crowd of them myself. But it shows you the difference between people who have courage and who don't and people who are involved in that sort of life because they're, they're all good with guns and stuff. When it yeah. comes down to fighting, it's different. Yeah. They're yeah. good. They can shoot people, all right. Yeah, but that's a coward who does that, mm. you know? Because yeah. I went into them and the arrows all start spreading and all my little kid cousins and my uncle... You we, swinging a hatchet at this thing? No, no, the, the hatchet was gone, actually. Right, okay, yeah, right, right. Because we were worried the guards were going to come so we threw the weapons. <laughs> but, like... but, look, but a good few of them had baseball bats. But we went in and we just start knocking about like pins and all my little cousins only 12 and 13 and all and they were knocking about and we drove the whole lot of them 50 of them into a cul-de-sac and then the guards came and guards came from uh, literally every guard station in Dublin uh, going out to Ashburn which is Mead and um, and we ran all these so-called gangsters well they were gangsters we ran them all into the cul-de-sac literally just because we were willing to die with each other yeah. and there was a confidence in the group you mm. know what I mean and we were able to just stand with each other no matter what without fear you yeah. have to just look out for each other and that's the way we were reared and we had that organi- organisation whereas they all just sort of were disloyal to each other and just every man for himself and taking off yeah. if I, I not get a box you know what I mean like one would take a box or one of them would see a box and he'd run yeah, so yeah, we yeah. basically slaughtered them just through the loyalty of ours and my cousin who didn't come out and help us he, he said man it was so sick man it was like it was like the Scottish again the English Braveheart <laughs> I swear to God yeah. you're telling this story yeah, yeah. and all I can see is yeah. Mel Gibson That's and Braveheart like, but you literally. know what I'm lucky I'm lucky this was like before the, <laughs> this was before the, the Instagrams and the iPhones because that would have went viral like that would have went you. viral like and I would have never anyway the story's told now it's out there you can write about it you cunts uh, thank you for the exclusive yeah, but, delighted. but we grew, but listen, we're in brought those, up with that loyalty in those moments mm. like for me listen that like oh, that's so far removed from like anything that I I was never in a fight in my life the first, yeah. first time I fought was when I started jiu-jitsu do you know mm. what I mean but in those moments are you even thinking about what can happen or is it just your adrenaline is going and you're just, you're just uh, anybody who fights no yeah it's fight or flight yeah it's fight or flight and listen everybody has their own breaking point yeah and uh, particularly back then I wouldn't have been able to control my rage so when he said you fucking pikey that was I saw red yeah. and I ran towards him I didn't mm. even care about everybody else it was just I was going to attack him and I knocked yeah. him straight out unconscious and then my cousins just came in all oh, kids but we were just brought up like that like we have to that the saying we have is you die with each other you yeah. die with each other and you have to tell people that you're, who you're willing to die with you tell mm. them I'm willing to die with you you know what I mean like that's our thing so as long as we're all together we're grand <clears throat> um, it was a successful situation the guards came in and they gave us a few raps over the head because we were louder than them by that point but uh, in actuality actually the guards favoured us more because they were, th- they were going around telling them be all Kulak's gangsters were beaten up by like a load of kids you know what I mean? Cause the vigilantes yeah. of Kulak. <laughs> yeah, Here yeah. you are, John Connors and Co. So, so we were <laughs> we were literally never bothered ever again in Barndale or Kulak or any anything like that. Never bothered by any gangsters or so-called heads. But that's the reality it is when you live with a place like that. See what happens is there are people who control them areas, mm. and uh, they control it with an iron fist, and everyone is afraid of them. Yeah. But then you see, sometimes they're met with resistance. So we're brought up to always resist. That's just the way we're brought up. We're not, and we're not brought up to attack first. But we will resist. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to give us resistance, you're going to get. If you're going to give us, you're going to attack us. You're going to get resistance, and yeah. that's what it was. And they're used to people bending over. Just, oh, I'm sorry, or ta- coming in, taxing somebody, and going, "You pay me five grand for that argument or whatever." Yeah. Well, God help them if you try to do that to us. You yeah. know what I mean? So that that's we live and die with each other. And do you that, ever get settled people coming in, being like, "Here, we need your help here." 
Um, well, like I've backed up loads of my settled friends throughout the years, yes, because yeah. I was brought up in Darndale. I've loads of settled friends. Like my two best friends are settled friends. You yeah. know what I mean? So I backed up. People are people to me. People I love are people I love. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll always die with people I love. Now, nowadays, there's no hats at swinging. There's no. <laughs> I tried to I tried to deal with things in a more intellectual sense. <laughs> Go ahead to the hat on that table yeah. there, just in case. <laughs> but I'm still I'm still capable of violence. <laughs> but listen, there is a romanticism in that 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 like you know that in you know in the traveling community to, to say to someone like I'm willing to die for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I I definitely know that there's only a handful of people in my life that yeah. I die for. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. when you're faced with that, there like there is a sort of romanticism well, in it. You know, this is where you know this is where people. Get getting confused with travellers where they say you know accuse traveller gangs or whatever they're not gangs they're families yes yeah. <laughs> like they're not there's no organisation here like there's not they, these are a family mm. and you'll die for family you'll die for blood you know like and even things with travellers like say if I'm going to the shop I could be going to the shop at 11 o'clock at night I'll bring four or five of my cousins and say do you want to go over to the shop yeah. we all move in groups that's the way we do it yeah. the, the girls all go with the girls the boys all go with the boys we go in groups and this is the way we're brought up Growing, going in groups and then that's why there's intimidation and people just see us and they have fear oh there's about 10 of them it's just the yeah. way we go because we've always travelled like that we've travelled around the length yeah. and breadth of Ireland yeah. in groups yeah. and it's ingrained in our DNA you know yeah. and it's always about backup because we are a defensive culture in that our culture has been you know it, there's been an attempt to absolutely destroy us and obliterate us yeah. And yeah. the assimilation policies of policies of the 60s and uh, Charlie High talking about the final solution to the itinerant problem you know mm. so I mean we've had to be defensive in order to exist just exist because yeah. he wanted it to absorb us into the settled community yeah. you know what I mean so we've had no choice but to be defensive and get together and group together you know what I mean and it's it's a defence mechanism absolutely you're stronger together you know absolutely what is um, your favourite thing about your culture what do, what do you treasure it's, most about it it's exactly it? that it's family the way we come mm -hmm. together because I've yeah. never like <clears throat> I see it like when people I see settled people sometimes like uh, and this is not all some settled people have really close families but you know like talking about an aunt or an uncle like they're someone you didn't really know or or a cousin like someone you don't really know that's alien to me or not knowing their family lineage that's a real weird one like because I can go back 300 years on one side yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. At the minimum I go back is 100 years on one of, and, and me, all my grandparents lines like the McCarthy's the Dunahoo's the Ward's Connors's that's my four grandparents and um I go back the minimum 100 years with one of them and then further with all the rest of them. I can go back to 1798 with the wards. So these sort of things like uh, are very important. Family is very important. Lineage, our history, our culture are very important. So when I see people that kind of don't have that, it's just sort of peculiar to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And are, are sort of loyal to, each, loyalty to each other. The worst thing you can do, the, the worst way of hurting me is be disloyal to me the worst thing mm. ever and if you're disloyal you're gone forever there's no not there's no conflict about it it's just over goodbye forever you know mm. what i mean so loyalty is huge you know and yeah. then we have our own we have our own ways we have our own sort of sense of humor we have our own language yeah you know and it's like like tra <laughs> travelers when they meet each other when a traveler meets a traveler whether it's a man meeting a woman a woman and a man or any way at all across and we're all we're all storytellers we yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we all just tell stories to each other immediately mm. so it's when I say I could be on the lane smoking a fag outside mine and just looking out and my uncle could pull up I wait and tell you I met a man down the road and, <laughs> and, blah, blah, blah. and this turns into a 10 minute story and I'm trying yeah. to interject and tell my story yeah. and like 
only in the last few years I'm able to even objectively see that because that's just the way I was brought up mm. but you know the more when you mix with settled people you, it's kind of not that, that's not what it is so you go oh shit they, they talk differently to each other the way we yeah. talk you know what I mean for years I just thought everybody was like that you know what I mean yeah. so that's the way and just our sense of humour it's very endearing quality though isn't it to mm. be like storyteller especially like with, with, you know our, being Irish yeah. that's sort of like our thing as well as like yeah. a storyteller and also like the PC culture like Travers like most travellers alive don't even know what PC culture means. Yeah. They don't even know what it means. Yeah. Which I love. You know mm. what I mean? Because tra- travellers don't help. <laughs> they'll never be PC. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I love that, especially in the world we live in now where you can get in trouble for saying anything. Like, because, uh, like, you know, a lot of things I got in trouble for. Like, my family would go, what? What's, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Like, that's just the yeah, way yeah, we yeah, speak. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? We're not worried. You know, you're not trying to offend people deliberately or there's never malice in it, but there's constant sort of language police nowadays so I love the way our culture is, is against that we're anti-PC and you're so uh, you know uh, you know outspoken and you speak so freely about all uh, you know things that you agree with and things that you don't agree with, whether it be politics whether it be the repeal project mm. Mm. which I definitely respected your your stance on when we got the abortion referendum I voted yes yeah. you voted no yeah. And that's fucking cool. I know, but you know see, I mean? here's the thing with that is that we're that can't it, that's not possible anymore now. Yeah. Having having a diverse opinion. But you with spoke someone. so eloquently on it yeah. and you gave your you gave a rational yeah. opinion of why you didn't yeah, think But that's not that's not good enough anymore. It's if you're not with the the popular ideology. Like put it this way, right? Yeah. Nowadays if you're some if you are not Especially on and let's and especially in the Twitter world, which is not even the real world, and people need to always remember that. Yeah. If you're getting a hard time on Twitter, it's not the real world. Mm. These are people who have no courage, who are behind the keyboard or the phone, yes. and they're just gonna uh, dump garbage on you to make you feel bad about yourself. Mm. Don't allow these people to get in. That's what I say. But I've had to block all notifications now, so I don't even know what's going on in the Twitter world. Mm. Only if someone follows me and they tweet me directly, I get it. Yeah, and I've had to do that. Just for me, the, the, the hassle of my own yeah, thing, you know. Mental health. But um, within, if you're not, if the thing about the, and I would have always considered myself a lefty, but the thing about the left now is that if you don't literally hit every single stance on the left, you're alt right. You're mm. a Nazi if you don't. Yes. If you literally don't hit every single, and then the left are changing massively because <clears throat> the left will always say anti-EU because if you're a lefty or you're a socialist, you're for national sovereignty of your country. And the European Union are against national sovereignty. They control a lot of our laws. But now they're all pro-EU. Um, and then they're meant to be liberal. And to be liberal is to be free. Um, and, to, and to allow freedom of speech and mm. freedom of expression. Um, freedom of religion. And now the left are against all those things. And they're all about this thing called hate speech. Yeah. Um, which I think is absolute craziness. Like... Is speech hateful? Yeah, of course speech can be hateful. It shouldn't be illegal. Like, it doesn't matter. The only speech that should be illegal, which is Ill- is, is illegal, is speech that incites violence. That's yeah. already illegal in every Western country there is. But if someone is saying something, whether it be... Look, I hate being called a pikey and a knacker. Yeah. Hate that, right? Annoys me. I want to punch someone in the face and he say it to me. I don't want those words to be illegal. Yeah. No way. Because guess what? That person is still going to have them feelings and then mm-hmm. them feelings are going to manifest in other things. If they're not allowed to say it, where does that go? And mm-hmm. what happens is you start to then create martyrs of people. Like what's happening now with Gemma O'Doherty? Do you know Gemma yes, O'Doherty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to actually talk about Gemma O'Doherty for a minute because Gemma O'Doherty went for president and I endorsed her before mm-hmm. I heard all her bad views. But she was running on an anti-corruption stance, which I think is our biggest problem in this country. Mm-hmm. And 
Our problem with corruption affects all our institutions and our government and it runs through our whole country yes. because we're a tiny little country of corruption, you know, mm-hmm. and cronyism. And I talk about that in my play. You were there. Yeah. So she's going on the anti-corruption. I said, yeah, I'll give her my punt. Right? Yes. Even against the Sinn Féin candidate, and I'm, I was usually a Shinner, not anymore. But I said, I'll give her a punt because she, she recognises this corruption problem we have. Now, since she went bananas, I didn't see a lot of it because, again, I only get notifications because there's a lot of it. It's the Twitter world. Yeah. I only get notifications if someone directly tweets me and I follow them, you know. Mm-hmm. So I start seeing all this mad shit she's posting. I'm hearing people saying certain things about it, but I have to kind of see it for, for coming from her before I condemn it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, people are calling her Nazi and far right. And uh, so I see a photo that she done. Um, and it's a photo of a bunch of kids in Longford kids, yes, and yes, kids yes. who are of different colour and stuff and going modern Ireland and blah 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 implying that the ca- like Ireland's being destroyed Yeah. and I have to admit I was fucking enraged at that mm-hmm. that was absolutely disgusting I, yeah. I know I quoted and retweeted it and or I didn't actually I tweeted about it because I didn't want to retweet it because they're kids in the fucking photo Yeah. and if that was my kid in that I would actually kill her yeah absolutely to be honest with you. and, and it's have to been uh, hundreds of thousands of retweets yeah, and imagine, all that. imagine in parents like how angry they are that their yeah. children is all over fucking Twitter mm. so that fucking annoyed the shit out of me but the problem is she's outside she's outside fighting in Google yeah. for freedom of speech which was usually a liberal uh, ideology mm-hmm. it was usually like the liberal now the right have hijacked free speech and it's now the it's it's their bastion of hope, and the left are fighting against free freedom of speech. Now, what's happening is this is just factual. Now, look at it. It's like feeding the big bad monster. It's like the Trump thing, okay? Yeah. Uh, which I think Trump is still vilified more than what he actually is because we're living in a world of where we sensationalize everything. But yeah, I would have never supported him. But the problem is now with Chairman Authority, she's getting more and more famous. Mm. Her following is going bigger and bigger. She's becoming the figure of what they're calling the alt-right or far-right. Yeah. Um, and it's all down to the left's protests mm. and constant tweeting about it and they're feeding the big bad monster because they're actually fighting against an ideology that they should be for which is freedom of speech let her say what she wants let's hear that because if we don't hear it yeah. what's going to happen is they're going to create mo- they're moving people to the right Absolutely, they're red pilling yeah. people constantly that's what's happening yeah, and we're seeing it all yeah, across yeah. the world and now what's happening in Ireland it's been replicated in mm-hmm. Ireland so so the left have been really frustrating to me and when I came out with my stance on abortion um, I had people with repeal tops on, and Twitter bios calling themselves a human right activist mm-hmm. telling me uh, I hope it passes so traveller children can be aborted so we can have less travellers in the world. Jesus. People sending me death threats. I couldn't sign into be Twitter or Facebook. There were so many notifications of just constant hate, hate, hate. Um, and I was like, my God, this is meant to be the tolerant left. They're, and the left are not tolerant anymore. And that's, Absolutely. That's the thing. So you, if you fall out in one position, then you're gone. And that's the way it's been. And it's harmed my career. I've lost gigs over it. I've lost films over it. My two biggest roles ever that I was ever cast in, and I lost both of them. And they would Over been, this? Yeah, it would have been huge money. Uh, but is it not roles. a massive contradiction when people are saying like we want to have and again I voted for yes yeah, right you know that's fu- all my friends did do you know what I mean like I <laughs> voted maybe, for yes maybe but one like one uh, friend do you know what I mean yeah. I, I voted for yes and I, I have my views on why I wanted to be yes but I also am able to sit at a table mm. with someone who's no or with someone who, who disagrees with both of those opinions yeah. and sit and go okay fair enough I'm yeah. not offended by your opinion yeah. because we're all entitled to have it 100% and see the thing is when the right now are appearing more tolerant than the left we know we have a problem yeah. and again it goes back to the thing that the left are actually not liberal anymore they're a new form of leftism that are against liberal freedoms and that's the that's the real problem yeah. and I, I think it's going to manifest worse and it's going to get worse than 
it's going to just get worse in this country. It's, it's like it, it's like we're gearing up for another fucking civil war or something. Yeah. I don't know. They can't like, especially just this this the, the, the real activists. The activists are out there. They're pitting each other and they're against each other. And you know what the fucking funny thing is, right? They're really fighting each other over stupid issues a lot of the times and accusing each other of being this and accusing each other of being that. And there's so many things that we could really be getting involved in that we're all affected by, like Absolutely. the housing crisis Absolutely. and the renting crisis. And, uh, the real issues that are happening and uh, they're allowing to be uh, they're allowing themselves to drift into some some stuff that is nonsense mm. and the other thing is you know calling people far right calling people racist calling people Nazis like I'm from the most discriminated against group in Ireland but you should only be calling people that who are le- who are legitimately that because yeah. that's how you stop conversation and that's how you lose a debate but they think they're winning the debate by shouting you racist mm. let's hear what they have to say and, and you know literally calling someone a Nazi that's stupid as well because Nazism is an, is an exact, precise ideology. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Nazi, you're going to follow the ideology. So if you just think they have elements of Nazism, you can't call them a Nazi. It's, and it's your opinion. Let's hear what they ha- actually have to say. Don't be putting words in people's mouths. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a free speech extremist. I do not believe in hate speech. Yeah. Like, I do not believe we should be bringing in hate speech laws. I don't believe in any of that, to be honest with you. I want to hear it. Even someone like Tommy Robinson in Britain, who I disagree with with everything, I th- and he was imprisoned essentially for for for, for uh, that it, it um, just uh, reporting on uh, Muslims who were convicted of paedophilia. What? That is fucking crazy. Like, mm. what the fuck? What kind of world are we living in? Let and let's hear what he has to say. And now he's gone huge. Yeah. He is huge now. He is like the voice of the working class people and the white working class in England. And it's because of the intolerant left. Absolutely. But do you ever feel like? I mean, because you you obviously your your job your role. You know, it's kind of you you need the from a promotional element we'll say like you need the backing of media you need the support of you know the masses will we say um do you ever feel like when you're in those moments if i'm going to speak out about this going do you know what john don't because it's just yeah. not fucking worth it i do actually i do yeah um i do think that but i still usually don't yeah. do that i have to do it um, <laughs> there's a devil inside me there's a self-destructive side of me don't press the red button press the, the, the fucking red button like, i'll give you an example do you know the other mark o'halloran is a is a writer and an actor uh, he, he was in adam and paul and he wrote mm. that and he did garage and viva uh, I, I basically say one of the greatest artists in ireland and one of the, uh, the most important voices I'd say we have as, as from an artist's perspective and an activist's perspective. And I would I, I would agree with him in a lot of things. He did a show recently, The Virtues, The Shane Meadow Show. Where, ah, unreal. Yeah, he, he, he was in that yeah, and he incredible. came in and he was just, like he was literally, in, I watched that and I was like, this is amazing. His performance mm. was amazing. And, Who did uh, he play in that? He played the fella that uh, that uh, that the lead met on the Bidden site and he became kind of friends and he was himself abused and he, he grew he up. He hung there. himself yeah. at the end. Yeah. So he played him. Shit spoiler, uh, sorry for yeah. anyone who didn't watch And it. Mark put out, a, he put out a tweet the other night and this is like an example of the kind of new divisive left kind of talking and it was, it was kind of surprising because I, I'd really admire him, you know? And it was like, um, it was like, when are the pro-life movement uh, going to start uh, realising that there are so many far-right figures in Ireland that support pro, pro that, that, that support the pro-life movement, right? Mm-hmm. Or have pro-life views. And to me, this was a very nonsensical logic because that's like saying, I think I, th- I, I said to them, imagine if a serial killer holds a similar view to you. Mm. Does your view become invalid because he holds the same view? People are very complex, yeah. you know, they're, ver- they're nuanced and people don't always hit everything, you know. And I said to them, you're talking about that and you're talking about Nazism on the far right. 
well, what about Margaret Sanger? Did you ever hear of Margaret Sanger? Never. Well, Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood, which is the biggest abortion agency in the world. She promoted abortion all around the world. Margaret Sanger uh, founded Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was a deep admirer of Hitler and wrote him personally and was pen pals with Hitler. She was a white supremacist. She supported... Uh, she was a major eugenicist. Uh, she believed in weeding out the poverty-stricken and ethnic groups um, through abortion. Um, she, she promoted abortion in the African-American community specifically and other ethnic groups too, the Irish too, because they were seen as dirty and, and peasantry and poverty-stricken in the early, in the turn of the 20th century and other groups. And, um, and the result of that, she targeted African-American leaders and convinced them that abortion was going to be a great thing for them because they'd have smaller families then and, and have a more disposable income and they'd get, gain more wealth. And as a result of that today, 18 million black children have been aborted since 1979. And if you're black in America now, you've a 50-50 chance of being born uh, or aborted because it's so prevalent. It's seven times higher in the African-American community than the white community because they targeted the poor people. Margaret Sanger was the founder of it and literally a fucking Nazi. And he's saying... That these some of these Nazis are holding pro-life views. Well, the founder of the founder of abortion essentially was a Nazi. But does that mean that everybody's pro-choice is a Nazi? You have to question that. No, mm. it doesn't. People have different uh, positions. Absolutely. So it's that's the sort of divisive talk, like demonising people because of their view. I don't believe in that. Let's have con- and this is why it's great to have these long-form conversations instead of say me at the time going on the radio uh, with the pro-life thing and getting a six-minute interview and being attacked. Bam, 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 bam. You misogynist. Exactly. You woman hater. You did like yeah. you woman hater and misogynist I was being called my hero is my mother and my grandmother my grandmother is a this hero is, of mine this is and they're telling me I'm yes. a woman hater like this is this was and I can understand I can understand people's point of view as I understand right and the extremist point of view there's an extremist point of view of both of them and one is if you're pro-life you're a woman hater you hate women you're a misogynist and the other is if you're um, pro-choice well then you're a murderer and this that and the other you know what I mean but there's a lot more complexity to this mm. and people were jumping to the extreme of both of them and that was the that was the problem, yeah. you know? But I find that it's kind of, we are in this age of like hysteria where yeah. people are not even actually outrage. soaking in. Yeah, like just hysterical outrage and no one is actually sitting down with logic and going, okay, sorry, why did someone say that? What are the reasons for that? Yeah. I saw a thing a while ago. Um, There was a thing on the rap group, Versatile. Yeah. Two lads from Ring's End, I'm big right? fans of them. Big fans as well, right? Yeah. And the two, uh, I tweeted all about them. About yeah. Women support, yeah. <laughs> you, so you know what I'm going to talk about, about, yeah. the, about yeah. the black women thing, but, right? Yeah, but it's satire. It is satire. Yeah. I saw somebody uh, absolutely put this, this, um, you know, the whole thing up about them, and I was like, I don't feel like I'm intelligent enough to sit down and have the conversation of, you know, you, I'm sending you yeah. in, right? Yeah. But in this vein of somebody, you know, sitting and saying like, it, being outraged by it. In another vein, they were promoting, you know, Cardi B or something of the yeah. the same ilk, where she's like in her underwear, promoting sex, sexualizing absolutely everything that she does. Yeah. And then you're trying to say that don't and sexualize. She's it, but she's doing it seriously. Yeah, They're doing exactly. it satirically. Here, yeah. I've, I've very strong views on this. And right? it's not only black women because yeah. it's for my, my Caucasian women yeah, as well. Course, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's all women. Of course, but my views are very simple on this, right? In times of need like this in, in um in politics, when we get the voice of politics like this and when they struggle politically, the most important people, I think, or one of the most important people, anyway, are artists in general, but but comedians and satirists, mm-hmm. they can make better points than anybody with yeah. satire. Satire is the best, you know what I mean? They can make political points brilliantly. Um, even SNL, Saturday Night Live, have done some great satirical stuff in the last few years about Trump. I think they've overdid it and kind of bl- blown the heart a bit too much, but satire is very important, right? 
to criticise satire, satire is usually making the opposite point of something or it's doing something to be sensationalised. Like, you look at them lads, they have a fucking song called We Sell Brown. Yeah. And they're dressed like ridiculous ridiculous 90s gangster rappers. They're fucking, they, they're being satirical. Yeah. The one song they talk about stabbing hipsters in Grafton Street. Yeah. They're messing, they're joking, they're yeah. buzzing, they're doing crazy shit in their fucking videos. Watch it like. Yeah. It, this is absolutely crazy. These fellas... Listen, how hard is it for a fucking Irish hip-hop group, fellas who were uh, rapping in their own accents, mm-hmm. to gain the success they had? They're selling out the fucking sold Olympia. Out, sold out the Olympia. They yeah. sold out the Bleak over Tree Arena. Yeah, and over in England and all them places and all. Are you crazy? You know? We should be... Pr- These fellas are going to make it to the fucking Grammys, I bet yeah. you. It's satirical. Yeah. What about when Blind Boy does it? Or, you know, them, they did it. Well, they didn't go as far. Maybe maybe as edgy. But theirs was satire too. Absolutely. And might have been perceived as being prof- offensive to people. Like I think they're absolutely brilliant. I think they're individually two very talented artists and writers, and so in so clever yeah. in how they write and how they brilliant. put and everything the performance, together. Everything. The videos they do everything. They're All proper, the creative elements. I'm a huge hip hop fan. They're proper. MCs, they're yeah. brilliant, and I think we should be promoting these fellas. And they get my full support, and they're being totally satirical. Obviously, if they're being serious with all these lyrics, no one's going to support Absolutely. them. This is funny. You should listen. They have a fucking video on YouTube. What's the video called? It's called "The Night We Fucking Sodomized <laughs> Trinity College," and it's a video do in Trinity College. Like, come on, you know what I mean? Like. The, the, these lads are buzzing like they're shouting who's on ease yeah. they're just buzzing and they're in char- if you watch their interviews even where in Electric Picnic yeah. they're in character yeah, you know what yeah. I mean like these fellas are great buzz yeah. they light up my life sometimes yeah. when I listen to their music that's been honestly I sit back in the Dublin City G's I'm loving it yeah. or We Sell Brown or, or Who Robbed the Hash <laughs> I love these tunes because the, where I come from because I'm not yeah. just a traveller I come from Darndale I appreciate these Absolutely. social identifiers and, and you know someone is someone is able to look at this through a satirical Lens. Yeah. I think th- I think they're fucking geniuses. And they're like this whole like we're scumbags, baby. Yeah, we're scumbags. you know what I mean. Like I love it. Like <laughs> what what what's a line they have? Uh, I'd like to ta- I'd like to thank all the smackheads in Abbey Street. Like you know what I mean? Because all yeah. the stuff is selling, they're getting their Gucci and all. Like yeah. this is the they've one woman there who's like they have a thing around her neck and she's eating fucking cake or something. It's mad shit. They're just they're doing the most shocking satirical thing, the most extreme thing that they can think of. That's had a huge success. There's an appetite for that, absolutely. especially in this fucking PC world we live in now. Mm-hmm. We need fucking people like this. Absolutely, That's my opinion. Of absolutely, it. yes, John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but before, how are we doing for time? There, where are we? We're good. We're, 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 One yeah. Good stuff. Um, obviously, you know, music is a huge part. Not only acting and creating, directing, producing, but music is a huge part of your your life. You mm. know, obviously, your friends, Teddy Darling, Creative mm. Crime. Damien Dempsey, you know, you seem to be surrounded by this little kind of creative yeah. friends group, you know? How did how did that all come together? How did you guys all all join up and I met Dame. How do you influence each other? Oh yeah. Well when I met Damo in Tresden twelve, um he did a few songs in King of the Travers, my first film. And I met him at a play of Michael Collins, who was in King of the Travers, an actor, the first traveller actor. And I was a big fan of Demo. Mm. And I just went over and said hello, over introduced myself, shook his hand. And we just hit it off. And he says, Where are you living? You live in Darndale? I said, Yeah, he says, uh, he says, uh, I'm living in Donamid. That's why Demo talks. And I'm real deep, just greetings, my friends. You know, it's real spiritual. Oh, God. Welcome, know? Demo. Yeah, yeah. So um, he said, he said uh, Do you go to the cinema? I said, yeah, absolutely, of course, I'm an actor. Like, yeah. we go up to the cinema about two, three times a week. <laughs> I said, all right, then let's go up to the cinema together. So we went to the cinema, and actually, I remember the first time I met him there, we met with a few others. Dean Scurry was there. 
and uh, he was wearing Good man. Good man, he was, yeah, Dean, yeah. He was wearing a paddy cap, a checkered, a checkered uh, jacket, right? Proper traveller, tracksuit bottoms and a pair of Asics, right? And a, and a vest top underneath. And I said, Damo, you're dressed like the stereotypical traveller. <laughs> and you, you didn't know what to say, whether to laugh or not. You know what I mean? Fucking, you fucking funny cunt, you. And I remember I dropped him home that night. Me just fucking hit it off. And we just had these brilliant creative What'd conversations. You go see? Uh, oh, I wouldn't even remember, actually. Well, who knows what the I'm not that good of a memory. Right. Um, and then Teddy, then I met. Teddy, I met when we were just training. There was this gym in Darndale, which was like, in the Darndale industry, you said a gym that had a ring and weights, everything. And it was like the grittiest gym ever. It was I was going over training and he was training, he was doing he was doing bits of MMA there, I was unboxing and yeah. we just sort of started chatting and then um I, I he told me he was a rapper, I heard one of his songs, I said, I want that in Carver Gangster, this film I'm writing, you know. Yeah, this oh is yeah. and then I didn't end up making it for another two or three years and I ended up having ten of his songs there. And then I introduced and him to Damon. He was in the movie as well, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah yeah, 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 a few scenes. And then I introduced him to Damon, the three of us then Became very good friend, friends together, supporting each other in artistic de- endeavours. You know, he supported them on Vicker Street a few times, and uh, and it's good just having art, other artists' friends, so you can have them conversations, um, because you get very frustrated sometimes, mm. and they all translate to each other, like whether it's music, acting, whatever. It's all creativity. You know what I mean? It's so, important for you to have them included in what you're doing, and and likewise, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's just sort of natural relationships building there, like with Demo. Uh, the first song I put into the script of Carver Gangsters was Serious, the song, which ended up being a part of the montage there. And I just said, I want that song. So, And then I said, look, do you want to get in the film then as well? You know, so mm-hmm. it was just a natural, it's not things that sort of happened naturally. And Dame was like a working class fellow who looks tough as nails. Yeah. But he's actually a big old softy. He's a big old heart, you know yeah. what I mean? But he was perfect for the little part he played in it as well, you know? So it's just sort of all sort of naturally happened. We don't force things in mo- yeah. Whatever happens, you know what I mean? But it's it's lovely. From the outside of looking in, like it's a lovely quality because, you know, my friend circle are not involved in uh, combat sports. You know, my close friends that I grew up with, they're not involved in combat sports. They, they don't, when I go on TV, they're like, what are you doing? I'm on, on TV today. All right, Grant. They're not, they're supportive, but from a distance. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, it must be nice to have that close group that like you can, you know, talk creatively with them and go here, what do you think about this? Or thinking about writing this piece or have a read of that. Tell me what you think of it, you know? It is, yeah. Because like when Demo gets a new song, he sends me the song for a yearly draft. What do you think of that? And yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's choice. <clears throat> yeah. Never. No, but, but, I wouldn't say you've but, ever said no, that. No, but so Demo's not, not capable of producing shite. Absolutely. He's, he's the yeah. artist of his generation in this country. He's a hero of mine 100%. from a professional level as well as being a friend you know and an ins- and he's inspired me so much and we kind of better each other help each other like that but he sends me on it what do you think of this and what do you think of that and I'll give my little but I'll be totally honest I would never mm-hmm. lie and if there's something critical to say I will say something critical and I'll send him on a, on a draft of a script or I might send him on a new short film that I direct what do you think of that and we give each other advice same with Teddy we do the same with Teddy as yeah. well He'd be, we'd be all doing the same with each other and that's great you know because again like Demo would be, be Demo would have a, just a great eye for even film and structure mm-hmm. and story and whatever because he's a great storyteller you know what I mean yeah. uh, so we just all help each other like that and it's brilliant to have it like without that you can kind of be a bit fucked and mm. sometimes maybe with Damo I'd be gone for a while in London or I might it's you kind of miss that you know what I mean because yeah, Damo's yeah. always on the road or if I'm on the road you kind of miss that you know what I mean you, uh, um, uh, you need advice sometimes also have Jimmy Smallhorn there who um, directed me in me play 
And Jimmy and me have become really good Ireland's friends. Ireland's cool. Yeah, and he, uh, he's, uh, he's a legend. He's someone as well who I'd look at it as a kind of a mentor as well, another mm. artist. And it is very important for me to have that, to be honest. Because if not, I'm just having conversations where people have no idea what I do. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly. I mean? A deeper yeah. perception of what I do. And their perception of what I do might be very superficial. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's good then sometimes when you're stuck in your own creative endeavor to have a chat about something and you might find that little breaking point you know yeah in terms of your creative process you know when you're you're at home and you're you're writing a film or whatever it is how do you get into that headspace I mean are you the type of creative that you're walking down the street and something will pop into your head and write, I'll, I'll put a little note on my phone there and I'll expand on that when I go home or do you have to go off and soak yourself in you know nature for four weeks and then something comes to you what's your process no, like no I'm just constantly have thoughts and I constantly jot them down and uh I figure I figure things out like we just wrote a script recently there and I figured it all out in my head before I ever ever write the script but I might mm -hmm. have loads of notes or, and they're very simple notes like very like like I had a dream the other night and I dreamt of uh, writing a, doing a film about it's a revenge thriller of an IRA member who gets out of prison just on the Good Friday Agreement and is a soldier who is now has no war to fight and his OC tells him it's over and go home to your family essentially in the old sort of soldier sort of structure of a story yeah. and he can't connect with his girlfriend or his kid because he was abused growing up in a home and he has to find something to do and what skills does he have? He's the skills of a soldier. So he, go, he goes on a revenge mission and it's very ambiguous. You don't know what he's doing and he essentially goes after the people who abused him. I just had a dream of that and I literally, all what I did is I just wrote and I woke up and I went revenge RC, just revenge uh, Roman Catholic Church. You know what I mean? That's it. And that's my note. So now I'm going to figure the whole story out and then eventually I'll get a burst of energy and mm. I'll write a whole draft of it in one sit down session, maybe six hours. I'll type it all into my phone. I'll write in, me, I'll write in a, a, a software that I can just text them and I'll write the script I'll write a draft of the script maybe in four or five hours and drink a lot of coffee and then just leave it and then I'll read it and then I'll rewrite it and then I'll clean it up and then I'll send it to someone I respect I'll take their notes only ruthless people I send it to yeah. ruthless and I'll take their notes I'll go back at it I'll let it breathe again and then I'll send it to someone else who has a different taste on it you know a different mm. take and then I'll do that and that's kind of the way I do it Is it like a med meditative process yeah you feel kind of like a, a release it's, in some it's way it's cathartic writing it but it's really enjoyable thinking it all up in your head and figuring it all out because i'm and I, I don't get too precious about oh don't forget that don't forget that because i i actually genuinely believe if you forget it it's not meant to be you know what yeah, i mean like okay, you'll yeah, only right. you'll only sort of remember what is really important about the story or whatever you know so i don't get worried about oh i forgot that or i'm like can't try now nah, just little one line about it, what it is one feeling one you know random random stuff maybe someone else wouldn't even understand yeah. if you read it you know and then i'll just get the burst of energy but i wait for the energy i don't go like some people do I, monday now at nine o'clock i'm gonna start writing i don't do that yeah. i just i literally go when the burst comes i go with the burst and i just write like but carver gangsters I wrote like that a 190 page script and most scripts are 90 pages I wrote a 190 page script in one day just from a sit down session just a burst of energy you know what I mean like yeah. and then I didn't have it for weeks and then I went back at it and cut it down and whatever but I just go on the burst I need momentum mm -hmm. so I'm so but thinking about it and figuring it out gives me that energy because then I go oh right now I'm ready to just unleash it all now yeah. and then I don't do what other script writers do which is do an outline figure out a structure three act four act five act whatever it be the inciting incident uh, descending into the conflict um, climax epilogue all this stuff I don't yeah. do any of that 
I write totally instinctual uh, and every human being has stor- a story structure ingrained into our psyches. It's it's the it's what Jung talks about the archetypes. It's yeah. ingrained in our psyche. We have a natural. We all everybody thinks of things in a three act structure, whether they like it or not. Yeah. It's a beginning, the middle, and the end, but not always in that form. Mm. But it's ingrained in our psyche. This goes back thousands of years of telling stories. So I just tell it literally without thinking about it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And then when I have it, then I look at it and go, now how can I structure it to have the most uh, emotional impact? That's the way yeah. I always look at it from that angle. And then how do I take out the the fat, the shit that we don't need and let's treat the audience with a bit more brains rather than having to tell them everything. How do we show this? And then, and then that's when you were fine and that's the kind of fun thing. And I was doing that yesterday for an application with a script that we thought was in really good shape and while Tiernan was doing all the kind of mathematical stuff, the budgets, I said, I'm going to give it another read and another rewrite. And it was just a rewrite to literally make it more clever, clever, smarter, you know what I mean? Crispier yeah. and, and easier to read as well. Yeah. Because if a script is easy to read, it's a good script. Absolutely. Even yeah. if the content is bad, even if the content is hard and it's like traumatic stuff, it's it's always has to be an easy read. That's what I've noticed about every script. When I used to get the love hate scripts from Stuart Carlin, it was the easiest script ever to read. And mm. you literally, by reading the page, you knew who the character was. Because he designed the character. He did so much work for the character on the page that you didn't have to do any work for the character. Mm. And that's the best writing, you know. Yeah. Were you shocked at, um, I mean, you've spoken openly about the response that you got, not only from Cardboard Gangsters, but also from Love Hate, like the, in terms of like the public response and the kind of like, especially with Love Hate, like you, your character just, I mean, people fell in love with him, you know what I mean? Because he had such these, such a good nature and a good moral standing, you know what I mean? And went up against the bad guy and needs, you know, and all mm. that. Were, were you shocked? You know, did you see people's perception of you change after that? Yeah, listen, nothing could prepare you for for the reaction mm. that happened. I mean, I talked about this before. It's like being a fucking beetle, yeah. being in Love Hate, you know what I mean? Mm. A beetle without, did the, you fucking, enjoy that? without the money. Um uh, <laughs> I can't say I didn't take it. <laughs> there were moments I definitely enjoyed, but it got very heavy for me. Yeah. And uh, it definitely, it, it affected me negative, positively, first of all, and then it got too intense and then it went really negative, you know. Mm. Um, but going back to the character, I, I one, one thing I didn't want was, I love to play characters who have an inner conflict going on with themselves. They don't know what they're doing. Because I can relate to that because that's me. Yeah. And they're the most interesting characters to watch. They're the most compelling. If you look at Tony Tony uh, Soprano or you look at Walter White, there's always an internal conflict. And because of that, you can, can forgive them bad things. Mm-hmm. And I think this is interesting. So I didn't want him to be a character that goes and blows someone's heads off and doesn't give a shit. He's a psychopath. I wanted it to be someone who struggles. And, t- and Stuart thought, well, he's a traveler. Like, and travelers are religious. Most of them. I'm mm-hmm. not. Give him that religious morality. Yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. So that's where we kind of started with. So it's it, it's it was trying to get the audience to forgive the unforgivable, which is forgive mm-hmm. them from killing somebody. But how do you do that? The character I end up killing first of all before Nidge, who's the other traveler character, he set up my kid to be shot. Mm-hmm. Of course you're going to forgive that. But also what was interesting, what Stuart done and he put on the page was, he had my character essentially think out loud, which was a way of actually verbally torturing the other character because yeah. he's giving them hope as if he might not kill mm. him. But in the back of my mind, I know that he's always going to kill him. But because he's he has empathy and a religious morality, he's justifying the killing to the character himself and thinking out loud, letting him know that this is why I'm going to kill you, but giving him a little bit of hope because he doesn't want to break them until yeah. he's ready to go into the moment of psychosis. And mm. then he kills him. So that was like the, the big moment when that happened with my character, that kind of exploded online. In the pub, wasn't it? When, when well, that was the Nidge one, but this was when I killed the fella in the, in the container 
and I kill oh, them and I, yeah, I slice them yeah, up yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that. the poor fella, John. Yeah. I know. Thomas Collins, a friend of mine as well. He's a great actor, travel actor actually as well. Would you know? Mm. Just let him go. <laughs> Not up to me. Do you know it's gas when when people when people approach me and they and they blame me for killing Nigel or whatever and ending the series. Yeah. I go, do you not fucking understand? I didn't write this fucking thing. You fucking you fucking idiot. I met this one fella right, and some people are fucking mad, right? Yeah. And I don't mean to be bad. This I was outside Blanchardstown, shopping centre. I was getting picked up to go down and do this film in Navin. And a fella came up to me, and this was in the middle of why Love Hate was on, and it was it was the two days before the last episode. I think it was on a Friday, Saturday, the day before the last episode. And he was like, um, "Hey, yeah, 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 Patrick, Patrick, this is, who's that? Just the old man I said, hey, Patrick, yeah, you want to get out of here? Get out of here." I said, what are, you what? what are you talking about? I started laughing. I thought he was like taking a piss with me. Yeah. He said, fucking ages around here. And I just <laughs> literally bust out laughing. I was with my friend James, who played my brother in love, and the two of us laughed, you know? Yeah. Went, Don't be fucking laughing. Get out of here. He's going to fucking whack. And we kept laughing. We were laughing more. I thought this man was winding me up. His son came over, and his son just went like that, like, he's not mad well. he's mad he's not well like I was oh Jesus Christ no, this fella was thinking Nigel was going around looking for me out in Blanche you know? doing his shop yeah. doing his daily well, shop I'll give, give you another laugh there. <laughs> um, obviously <laughs> killed the Nigel's character blah 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 right and I, yeah. I went around whenever like, I was asked by several people about it whenever the Nids, I was like at least an old traveller one for once you know yeah, yeah. Little, little little soft joke <laughs> I didn't think it was too controversial but I went to uh, I went to a big fight event in uh, the O2 and I went up to the floor. The floor is called the V VIP floor, right? Oh yeah. And I was invited up. There. I said, okay, yeah, free drink sounds good. And there was these gang. I'm not gonna say who the fuck them are, but these are top gangsters, uh, like famous. And I went over and they all, all right, John, what's up, buddy? Yeah, take a picture, take a picture with the Nid Slayer and all this, right? And I says, yeah, about time a traveller one for once. Silence. Oh shit. I said, oh my god. I was there with Stuart Carlin. Uh, okay lads He's I think like, I'm just going to get out of here Someone could point out the exits I need to get out of here To release my butt cheeks yeah. <laughs> So I left the VVIB And I went back down to the VIB Just a regular VIB I said VIP. the VIP will do me okay, I don't need to be up there With them elites <laughs> uh, But it's gas It's gas Because some people Take fucking shit seriously like I have people challenge me To fight and all Do you think you're a gangster? Uh, no, I played a gangster It's fictional I'm an actor Hello And then other people Like um, there was one fella The only re- selfie I've ever refused this one fell in Lily's. I know Lily's what a wanky well, name. W- what is John Connors doing in yeah, Lily's in the first place? But you know, place? Lily, Lily's treated me really good, so I actually won't bad talk Lily. They treated me really good. But um, this one fella came up to me and he went, uh, and he was wearing an Ireland rugby top the day Ireland played some whatever they fucking won. I don't care about rugby. I can give a shit about it, to be honest. Uh, I think you know that by the play. Yeah. Ireland's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, but he came up to me and he says, here, uh, Johnny... And it's not even my name, but I'll accept Johnny. I have loads of names, right? I'm getting a selfie with you. And I said, uh, sorry, I, I was literally thought, he didn't just say that to me. Sorry, what did he say? I'm getting a selfie with you. I said, you're getting a selfie with me, are you? And he says, yeah. If it wasn't for the likes of me, you'd be still boxing in car parks. You're kidding me. I swear to holy God. I said, right, cameras are everywhere. Calm down, breathe, meditate. <laughs> mm, how are we going to handle this? Okay, okay. I'll have to pierce through this fella's soul with me eyes. I said, I swear to God, if you don't leave me right now, I'm going to reach through and rip your heart out of your chest and eat it. I swear to holy God above in heaven, do not test me. Get out of my face. Oh, there's no need to get so personal about it. And just walked off. 
So you get them sort of situations where you just want to. Then you got to you got to think yeah. about the camera looking at you. You know that kind of way. But give me an example of a of a on the other side of that. What's been the most um, memorable time that someone has approached you and said? You know, whether it was the, it, they took something from an appearance on Love Hate or you're writing on Carbo Gangsters or just you. What's been the most uh, memorable one? There's been a few. There's been a few. Like the, with my play, there's been less shallow um, interactions because mm. the play is so heavy and it's talking about a lot of important stuff. And there was one woman who whose brother went to Letter Frack. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, Letter Frack is a, is a, was an industrial school. It was like the San Quentin of industrial schools. Mm. My grandfather went there. And you have it's in Iron's call. It's in you Iron's speak call, about yeah. it. So yeah. she seen me talking about that, and she busted out crying and thanked me for it. And again, we met an old woman in um, in uh, Kerry in the Writers Week festival down there, uh, and she said the same. And like a lot of these old people who grew up in sort of this Catholic Ireland and seen the change in the last fifty years, were all crying like a group of them, like like mm. an audience of people crying. And I it was the I did that Q and A. The night before I did it, my grandfather had been anointed and I went down and still done the play and literally left and went back down. And in the middle of it all, I was just crazy, wondering what the fuck, how am I going to do this performance, you know? But it ended up being me most of most the most of the performance because I thought my grandfather was going to be dead by the time I got home, you know? And I connected deeply with them and they were all thanking me and uh, and just saying thank you for talking about this trauma that no one wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. So them moments were the most emotional for me and, and, and kind of... Um, it confirms that you're doing you're you're doing something that's worthy of something, and we all need that. We all need a sense of meaning and purpose. Purpose, yeah. yeah. I was just about to ask, do you feel like you're achieving your life purpose now, and um, you know, in acting, in being this creative, John Connors? I think I'm figuring out what I want to do more. I don't know. I think I've, I've you look. No one's ever going to be happy with what they're doing. Yeah. I don't think anyway. I'm not going to be anyway. Um, but I'm figuring out where I need to go, and I'm figuring out that it's all the same thing. It's all what I'm, I'm essentially just trying to pull back the curtains with what I'm dealing with myself, put that out to the world and hope other people get something from that. Mm. And I'm doing that with me talking, I'm doing that with me acting, I'm doing that with me writing. Yeah. It's all about healing for me. That's what it's all about. So I'm figuring that out now. I'm being less hard on myself nowadays and, and, and with the guilt and shame and all these stupid things that get ingrained in us. Uh, and I'm becoming more and more self-aware, seeing the important things, seeing family, all that kind of stuff. So I'm gr- I'm definitely growing more, um, and I'm hoping that I'm trying to do things artistically, creatively, that I won't regret in ten years' time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not like I don't want to look back and go, that was pretty immature and immature lens to look at that. Uh, I want to try to go, what's the what's the internal truth here, and I explore that because it's always something that I'll I'll be proud of rather than something looking back so I'm trying to do that and trying to and I'm trying to have no regrets that's very important you know what I mean because regrets are the worst fucking thing mm-hmm. ever you know and even recently like in all the debts in my family and all that it's fucking confirmed that even more and more like because you know people are dying all the time and you never get to say goodbye or you never get to tell them you love them you know like when someone dies you never get to tell them you love them like thankfully with my grandfather I was able to say that and I was able to tell him how much he influenced me mm-hmm. and I and I would not anything that's good for me I would not be there it would not be there if it were not for him. Yeah. But unfortunately, with other people in my family, I never had that chance. So 
I, I'm just loving people around me and, and telling people, tell me mother, I tell me mother all the time, I love you. And I give her a hug all the time. Like, mm. and she's real old fashioned and she's real shy, you know, she's yeah. kind of huddling. She didn't even, maybe she's drunk, she'll give you, she'll probably give it back, but she loves getting a hug. She's just yeah. really shy to kind of take yeah. it, you know. I mean, my brother's like, my brother was going to England, my brother Packy, and he was moving away. And, you know, I give him over, come here, give me a hug, to give them advice, tell me this, you know, all this, and just being comfortable with each other because you just never know what's around the corner, you know. Absolutely. Anything can happen, and you just want people to leave, if they're going to leave this world, you're going leave you want everybody knowing who loves who absolutely when you leave how would you like to be remembered how would i like to be remembered you see here's the thing about that why we're afraid of death so much is because we're afraid of we are driven by ego Mm -hmm. okay and i have an ego and everybody's an ego and i have a fear of death and even that question how would we like to be remembered is a thing of ego because people work for legacies and they work for legacy because they've an ego But what you need to realize is when you die, your ego dies mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, no matter what, it, it getting to the point where you don't care about legacy, right, is maybe Dalai Lama level of, of enlightenment, maybe. Yeah. And anybody under that is always going to have some. So I'm never going to get the Dalai Lama level. I'm always going to worry about legacy, of course, or want to have a legacy. But I'm yeah. trying my best to not and sort of just leave it all out in the ring now while I'm here. And let yeah. other people let let the chips fall where they where they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. What only is really important is how my family see me, mm-hmm. and uh, in a personal level. You know what I mean? And if I can affect people and help make any sort of change or inspire people, and I know I have done that, and people have told me to do that, that that is great. It does give me a buzz. But the, it's what the family really think of me, really, and people I love and people I respect, because I can't get the I can't allow it to become bigger than that. Yeah. Because then I start just. I'll sabotage it all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I'm my own worst enemy. So I try to not take too bigger picture with that. Like if Self-sabotage. I'm looking, yeah, yeah. If I'm looking, well, I'm 29 now. Yeah. If I live to 70, that's a fucking great age. Like, if yeah. I can get there. You know what I mean? Like, if I get to 70, I don't give a shit then <laughs> about my fucking legacy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, I'm 29, like, and I'm fucking ancient for a traveler not to be married and have kids as well. Like, Well, th- I was going to yeah. ask you that. I was going to ask that because... You know, I see some kind of similarities because I'm obviously 35. Mm. I'm not married. Yeah. I don't have any kids. And it's like, you know, it's like going around with leprosy or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not married. You don't have kids. You're 35, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't own your own house. But what, how does that affect you, you know? Uh, well, there's two ways of looking about it. We have a grown population of the world already. I think when I was a teenager, we had 6 billion population. Now we're 7.9 or something. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe adopting is better. <laughs> uh, stop fucking procreating people. Nah, but I, <laughs> look, I, like I've again, l- l- ego and legacy. You definitely think about uh, your 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 seed carrying on, your yeah. breed carrying on. You know what I mean. Your name carrying on. I think about those things. Yeah. You know what I mean. But I'm not prepared to go there right now because I have too many obsessions. Mm. and Dean I need to have all my ducks in place before I ever go down that road you know what I mean yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have a certain level I need to reach as an artist as a person and then we'll see what happens do you, you feel like a know. relationship would kind of take you away from yeah. your focus I have too much to, like relationships are fucking hard work 
You're telling me. Like, You're you know, telling like, me. I can't do it because I'm, I'm like, I'm like, for instance, like I'm leaving you now and I'm going to be editing until six in the morning. Mm. Like what girlfriend's going to put up with that? And then yeah. I'm doing applications and then I'm going to go on a film set. And once I'm in a film set and acting, I'm doing 15, 16 hours a day. You're not going to see me. Yeah. And I'm, if I'm playing a part where I'm going through any sort of conflict or struggle with every fucking part I play, I'm going to be in a really bad mood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so. Yeah. And, then, and then guess what? Guess what? I'm going to be six weeks fucking doing that film. I'm going to be so night. I'm going to go on a bender <laughs> and, you won't, and you won't be able to contact me. <laughs> and God knows what's going to happen. And I could be in a house full of 50 women. <laughs> and I don't know what's going to happen because yeah. I can't trust myself. <laughs> so I don't know I have to grow up a lot as well in my own way you're never going to get a girlfriend you know again I mean? after that's this that's just podcast. the truth of it that's just the truth of it you know what I mean so what good woman is going to put up with me and, and listen I'm look I, you know I might but it's people, a very mature answer because mm, you could easily go like you know in yourself and go fuck it they just have to deal with it yeah you and know? it's just you know being, look sometimes you sit down you watch Netflix and you go mm, bit of company wouldn't be bad well, here gonna, you just know what loneliness like, creeping and it's not you always know? about sex like but just a genuine bit of company here be nice you know what I mean like so uh, but uh, at the same time I, like uh, some people might listen to this podcast and might think God forbid you might think I have a bit of charm about me or, or a bit of like, some good qualities but if they hung around me long enough they'd know how annoying I am I annoy people and I get pleasure annoying people like and I'll, I like to figure out what somebody's tick is and keep pressing that button yeah so like that's not good for a relationship like, you know what I mean unless you fucking again have the enlightenment value of the Dalai Lama I'm probably going to annoy the shit out of you absolutely yeah. so uh, women all that stuff that's, that's down the road that's down the road um, but it's, it's an interesting concept, right? Because I see so many, especially in, in my work with fighters, right? Yeah. And they're in relationships and they're, they're with partners who really just don't understand what it takes to be a high level professional athlete. Yeah. And it's, it's at this stage where they're like, whether they're 19, 20 and they're starting to discover women and the session or they're kind of in their 20s and the partner wants to settle down, have mm. a family and go on two holidays a year. And they're like, this is just not my life. And you can see the friction starting to... To creep in, you know, and someone who is 35 and who, who has been in that position before, I'm like, cut your losses and run, you know what See, I mean? Like you have to you have to look at it one way one way. You have to look at it one way or another. It's up to you, but you have to look at your life with how much time do I have mm-hmm. and how do, do I do distribute that time? So right now my time is distributed between getting to the absolute highest level I can as an artist and then being there for me family. Yes. That's that's two uh, time capsules there. Now, if I bring a girl into that, that's the third. Yes. And then it gets distributed unevenly, <laughs> and then it causes major conflict. And then who is this girl, by the way? You know what I mean? And bringing her in, and then my mother, and then you know who the, did he get on there? And is she going to be nice for six months and then turn into a bitch? I've yeah. seen this. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know who knows? And then also even bringing her to the mother and all—that's a big commitment. Well, I was about and to then, say it then, has to be approved by your mother, yeah, right? Yeah, but she'd be grand. But the thing is, what if we break up then? She'd be talking about that one for years. Well, what about your one? Like if like any sort of connection. I've had with any women she could ah oh, yeah you're going out with your <laughs> no I wasn't going out with her I fucking had a point with her you, know, you don't know you know yeah. or you know someone posted a picture with me oh what's gonna tell me gonna and she wants to know all this shit like this is stress for me because I'm because she's all constantly asking me and she thinks like I'm in these fucking relationships you're going home she's like John who is this who was that who was your one who was your one I've seen the thing and she's very good looking listen you don't have to say I know when she says she's very good and that means I approve you know what I mean yeah. like so 
she you, think, you think she'd like to see you settle down and have kids? I think she would, yeah. yeah I think yeah. she would, yeah. And she has what? She's three grandchildren now. My brother Joe keeps giving out to me and Paggy. Well, why don't you fucking have kids? <laughs> give, my, give my children some cousins, for fuck's sake. He said, we're travellers. We need to have gangs of children. <laughs> and, I, and I do feel a bit bad there because like, I'd love the ground promoting birth to travellers even more, <laughs> even though we have a very high birth rate. Because if we all had about 20 children each, in two generations of time, we'd have about a half million population. We'd have our own political party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so... And it's sort of traveller supremacist view. Absolutely. <laughs> so I probably would love to have about 100 children or something. Yeah. Maybe if there's about 50 women and have two each with each woman, maybe that's the way to do it. Do you think you'd be a good dad? Um, <laughs> I do. I would be. But my children would be very militant. <laughs> they'd be coming out of the womb with a ballyclava <laughs> they'd be learning about fucking they'd be learning about the reconquest of Ireland they're coming out with a tricolour yeah I would, be, I would look at them as I suppose like look Reardon kids you're the influencer it's the environment you grew up in yes. which will determine everything your first seven years of your life will determine your world view that's the psychoanalytical view of things the first two years of your life will determine how you deal with a relationship whether platonic or romantic or whatever uh, family relationships so I would see the importance in that yeah. uh, and I would be very sensitive about what I share with them in the first few years and then if I was with a, a woman of course I'd, my rule would be to never argue in front of them things like that yes. and uh, I would I would uh, like I'm sick like I'd be putting on Beethoven while they're in the womb and and you'd have to listen to that for three hours <laughs> and you know what I mean and it'd be playing just tapes of Irish the language so they'd naturally pick it up and yeah. like because their their brains are like sponges you know what I mean so I'd be like the way I try to cram knowledge into my brain I'd yeah. be trying to do that before they even hit three I'd be trying to get so much knowledge into their brain you know what I mean yeah. I'd start boxing with them as soon as they're walking mm-hmm. you know what I mean but I wouldn't yeah. allow them to spar until they're about 10 or 11 you yeah. know what I mean like so yeah I, I would be good I do, but I may I probably have such a level of trying to I want them to succeed so much they could probably end up being really bad people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. but that's the way because I look at me, my niece my niece and my nephews and I love them so much like yeah. so much but you put up was it your two nephews that you put yeah. up last night yeah, yeah they're so, what are their names again Joseph and Killian yeah. I love them so, like it's mad because I love them so much like love them so much but I can't even I can't even imagine what it'd be like to have your own child exactly you know yes. what I mean I'm going because yeah, that's yeah. love is intense and do I need that love in my life because you've been just constantly yeah. thinking about that love but it opens up a whole yeah. it opens up a whole space of like fear yeah. and you know and this it, whole... do, it, it do, then it does change your motivations it does um, dictate your decisions then yeah. and I'm sort of like I'm going see the thing is I, I have a sort of self responsibility on me as well mm. like because I need to I need to before someone climbs Everest before some a, a group of people can climb it someone has to climb it someone has to climb Everest and they go oh someone can climb Everest and I'm constantly trying to climb the load of Everest for travellers yeah. and for working class people and people from Darndale and areas like that so that someone can go yeah well he did it he did it you know what I mean because I saw it with Michael Collins mm. Michael Collins was in Glen Row and he did loads of theatre and, and he was in a few films and yeah. he was in Man About a Dog and I went oh hang on what I thought about that. he's Blackie he's a Blackie yeah. in Glen Row yeah, yeah well yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was fr- his friend in it Yeah, oh, he was yeah. a traveller character Blackie I went, hang on, he did it, so I can do it. And that yeah. gave me inspiration. I remember going, hang on, there is a travel writer, like, I'm not the first. There's yeah. someone who done this, and, and they're on fucking television. Yeah. And, like, if you haven't acted before and you haven't done any roles at all, just being on television is a big deal. Like, I, yeah, th- I thought to course, myself, yeah. I thought to myself, if I get a role 
by 25 in a short film with just one line that's a success and if I ever got into a Jim Sheridan film before I was 40 that's a success I got into a Jim Sheridan film by the time I was 25 and I was already nominated for two IFTAs like yeah. the, you, do you know what I mean like so yeah, yeah, so yeah. I have to keep climbing more Everests mm-hmm. do you understand that's why it was so important when I did that IFTA speech that time was to was to really voice what I wanted to, to set an example and to show I'll remain who I am as well because the thing was with travellers if you wanted to succeed in something that was not typically a travel profession or whatever or, or, or get into ed- the education system the idea was that you had to excommunicate yourself and your family and your mm. community yeah. and become a settled person and my thing is no you don't have to fucking do that you mm. don't have to do that at all you can stay exactly who you are if you want to be super traditional you can and you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah. and you can inf- and your culture can inform what you want to do mm. and realise what the bastions of your culture are yeah. and how that's a strength so I have to continue kind of climbing a load of efforts now it's a responsibility I've taken upon myself I put the pressure on myself but I just, that's what the feeling is. And I travel all around the country and I meet travelers and kids and young and young ones. And they, these are, that's what they're saying to me. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I have no choice in the matter. For me now, it's just, it's a given. So I need to get to a certain level of that where there's a certain level of security and success and satisfaction for myself. And then we'll see what the kitty thing is all about. If I'm still fertile. <laughs> <laughs> You're like 66. Uh, yeah. Lydia, I've got like some fucking, news. <laughs> like Hugh Hefner, a big fucking creep or something. I can see you in a silk pyjama, nah. all right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <You know>, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, before I let you go, I have to ask, last question. For everything that you know and all of you have experienced to date, what do you think the secret to happiness is? Uh, sounds cheesy, but it's love. Mm. That's what it is. Yes. Whether that's love with a partner or your family or whatever. Uh, and caring for each other because listen when you strip everything everything is ego everything materialism is ego when you strip away the ego all you have is love that's the only mm-hmm. remaining love and compassion for each other they're the only nutritional things that we have for our soul yeah. you know what I mean because going out and buying a Lamborghini is not nutrition for your soul mm-hmm. it's the opposite it's poison yeah. you know what I yeah. mean it's an overdose for mm-hmm. your soul so love and compassion for each other and removing hate from your life because if you hate you can never be happy mm-hmm. personally hates can't be happy just can't because hate the hate is not coming from the person they hate or it's not being motivated by the person they hate usually it's being motivated by their own inner conflict and their own trauma yeah and then because you can't hate if you've healed that you know mm-hmm. what i mean so love and compassion for each other and caring for each other that's all that ever matters because if Something happens tomorrow and the shit hits the fan. Yeah. All you have is your family and yes. the people you love. That's it. Mm-hmm. It all doesn't matter. I've seen it all. I've been very high in one point and, and got this. But when shit hit the fan and I, went, I had no one to back me up, who was there? My family, yeah. my mother, my brothers, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents. They were the only ones who don't give a shit if I fuck up, mm. who don't give a shit if I do something stupid, who forgive me no matter what. Whereas no one else does. Want, loads mm. of people don't want to forgive yeah. me. Those people want to hate me. And that's it. And I can't let that outside hate infect my in, my inner love, my mm-hmm. circle. So that's the most important thing to me. And I think that's the thing to a happy life. And that's when I'm most happiest, when we're, everything's good with my family and my people and my people I love, you know? Absolutely. Well, what a note to leave our interview on. Thank mm. you so much, John no Connors. That was brilliant. Thanks for having me. Matt, thanks for coming in. <laughs> Delighted. John Connors for the first exchange.